just a reminder to everybody, take a breath and choose kindness when you can because it feels good. You know, you get to put good into the world, but it's yeah. also, it feels good. You know, when you see somebody like, mm-hmm. okay, like her hand stopped shaking and she kind of like, like got herself together. Like, are you sure you're okay? I don't care about cars. Like you and the, the kiddo, you're fine. You're sure. Like we're good. We exchanged some info. Mm-hmm. We're good. That's cool. Just a reminder, you know? Yeah. Like, Empathy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's a superpower. 100%. It is. Did you have a similar day, Charles? <laughs> No, accident, <laughs> accident-free day for me. Accident, didn't even pee yourself? A little. A little bit. A little. But it was a great joke. You know, I'm getting old. You, always pee, you pee yourself a little bit, the older you get, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so Marnie came home today from work, and she says, how was your day? And I said, fantastic. How was your day? And she goes, pretty good. And I was like, okay, so I win. Yeah. She's like, it's not a competition. I said, I mean, I said my day was Fantastic. You said your day was it would have yeah, been okay. subjective. <laughs> when she said it's not a competition, you should have been like, that's what a loser says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Admitting, you're admitting I won. Exactly. That's all this is. Oh, well, uh, I already alluded to it. And rather than, than build yeah. it up, uh, I would rather have everybody just get to hear you introduce yourself. And then we can get to talking about uh, what you're doing here. Sure. Uh, thanks, Ben and Charles, for uh, having me on. Um, so my name is Daniel Nguyen, uh, from Vietnam, um, with Songkai Distillery. So we're a uh, distillery and winery based in Vietnam, specifically in Hanoi, the north of Vietnam. Um, and we've been around since 2018, and we make a line of gins, an Amaro, and a rice wine. Woo. Yeah. So we're, you know, agriculturally focused, have a background in agriculture and, uh, and bioengineering and natural resources of over 12 years um, but started making alcohol since 2018. So that's landed me in the Twin Cities. I think this is my third time. Well, yes. And uh, I believe we got to meet you. Well, we, I've, I've gotten to see you all three times. That's uh, true. Because I caught you at a trade show uh, the last time at oh, uh, yeah. New France with mm-hmm. Katie. Yes. And then before that was was at High High okay. for the first time. Yes. Um, I forget the order. Of yeah. things. <laughs> for our international listeners, you distribute all kinds of places around the world, right? That is correct. Yeah, so we're, you know, we spend a lot of time in the U.S., the United States, but uh, we're also in, you know, Hong Kong, other parts of Europe, uh, Australia. Um, but yeah, we're, we're fortunate and very lucky um, to have been able to be given the opportunity to distribute globally. That's incredible. Yeah. And folks, if you, if you have this in your market and you get a chance to try it, absolutely 100% you'll understand why it's going around the world. But before we get to your stuff, yeah, we got to raise a little toast real quick. Uh, our good, wonderful sponsors at Beam Centauri uh, sent us over a bottle of Toki, which I believe we have not drank neat on this show in quite a while. I don't know that we have it all. I know Maybe we, we made, never have. We made highballs uh, with Easy, but we have yeah. not had it alone. But beautiful, affordable, slightly sweet, slightly smoky, it's everything that you're looking for in one of the very few Japanese whiskeys that are remotely affordable these days. Yeah. I like drinking this neat so much that this was the neat pour that called me down at Scars in New York City when yeah. we were filming our video <laughs> yeah. because we had a session where we were filming at Scars Pizza that just took a really long time. And my my brain was struggling to not go on to the next thing because that's the way my brain works. Right. And I went inside to the air-conditioned bar and got a neat porotoki, and it made me feel real good. Real, real good. <laughs> yeah. 
This has got a, like such a nice ginger note on it. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, ginger ale mm-hmm. would be a really good one with this. Done it. Can confirm. Mm. That's why it makes such a great highball yep. too. You Hold know on. what would be interesting? Um, the whiskey cocos that you were crushing in Puerto Rico could absolutely do. I that. could one hundred percent see uh, Puerto Rico via Tokyo uh, shot of this. I think that would yeah. be delicious. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was nice. Um, yeah, other than that, we I, I, I don't think we have any crazy housekeeping things that we got to get into. We'll, so. get, we'll get into it as we as we go yeah. along here. We do have a... Dun, dun, dun. If, you're, if you're a live listener, we do have an impending event this weekend that you'll be able to <laughs> hopefully view live. If not, there's going to be video content. We're trying to do a, a live stream of a thing, but we'll we'll get into it as, as we go along. This, yeah. is your, this is your tease, so you keep listening. So yeah, exactly. So you don't stop like four minutes in a... Bunch of jerks. Well, yeah, we just had our cheers. Let me just get into topic number one. How about that? Let's go. Sounds good. All right, Daniel. Let's uh, let's get right into it. Let's have it. What is a favorite gin cocktail of yours right now? Ooh, Mm -hmm. wow, that's really good. I would say it's a little bit of a modification on uh, Tom Collins, and uh, what we do is. So in Vietnam, we have a tradition of fermenting um, limes in a, in a salt brine, and we call it cheng mui, which is salted lime. Mm. So it's a little bit different from lacto-ferment. What it is is you take a whole lime, you peel off some of the excess uh, peel, if you will, mm-hmm. and you just ferment it in a, in a salt brine. Some people will add a little bit of a, uh, a slaked lime to it um, so that the... Uh, the limes themselves will remain crunchy, so you can eat it afterwards. Um, you let it ferment for about three months to let get real juicy and, and briny. And I take half of that, muddle it um, at the bottom of a Collins glass, two ounces of gin, you know, the typical lime juice and and then simple syrup and build up from there. And it's amazing. It's like a, it's like an adult lime Gatorade. Yeah. Is the way I would wow. describe yeah. it. Fuck. Yeah, so that's, I'm that's taking my all my favorite. money right now. Yeah, I want that in my face. Hundred percent. Should have brought wonderful. some. <laughs> Holy what shit. are the What are the characteristics of the lime after it's been fermented? Like, what do you What do you pull from that? It's definitely if you've ever had. So you know, how, this is kind of like a shameless plug for Gatorade, but Gatorade. <laughs> You know, the, the lime Gatorade, the original lime yep. Gatorade, but they came out with a Gatorade Zero. Yep. That's in the square bottles. Yep. And their new salted lime tastes exactly almost like that. No shit. Yes. This is okay. salted lime Gatorade? Yeah. Yes. Because that's, really? that's the electrolytes. Yeah, it's that's just the salt. electrolytes. But they call it that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I've never seen it's, that. It's zero added, like, real sugar. It's zero, zero real sugar, so it's supposed to be, like, zero calories. But their salted lime, because it has kind of a weird no sugar thing going on, the salt aspect is pushed way up, mm. and that tastes more like. And I think they mix it with a little cucumber, but just try and subtract the cucumber from your brain as you're tasting it. That tastes like the salted lime. Wow. And imagine that with like, I don't know, some sparkling water and some gin. Yeah. And I'm that's, in. Oh yeah. my god, that sounds incredible. Yeah, and like something we should probably try and figure out, Charles. Simultaneously Dude, dehydrating absolutely. and hydrating at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Keeping it at stasis. I'm good with that. You know? <laughs> I love fermenting shit, so that is right up my alley. I'd love to try that. Yeah. You know what would be fun is if we got a bunch of people together and we pickled some stuff and fermented some stuff. I think that would be a great idea. Katie, what do you think? Do you think that would be a good idea? Sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> 
Former yeah. former guest of the podcast, Katie Dimmick, is here. Charles, Charles is always in charge, per the theme song, <laughs> of our days and our nights. <laughs> yeah, well, come on, where's the rest? Oh, God, of our wrongs and our rights? <laughs> and I see, I want... I want yeah. Charles in charge of me. Right. I just wanted you to say that part. Boy, that's like a... I'll isolate that That song part. gets a lot creepier and a lot more sexual <laughs> oh, yeah. if Charles is it's an bad. actual person. It is weird. Like, also, if you slow it down, <laughs> if you slow it down... And put some reverb on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it gets real weird. <laughs> some chimes. Some wind yeah. chimes. <laughs> Holy shit. God, now that's going to be in my head for the rest of the day. Yeah. That's fucking great. I want <laughs> Charles in charge of me. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so yeah. gin cocktails. Mm-hmm. Sorry to to bring it back to what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, all day, I wanted to say a last word because of the chartreuse shortage. I've been really craving one, and yeah. I think it's just because I know I can't have it. And so I kind of wanted to go that route. But when you walked in and you set all these bottles out, it actually brought me back to um, when we made a Negroni of all Sunkai. Oh, yeah. So we did, we did the Amaro, the Roselle Gin, and then the Dry Gin. And I like things astringent. I like things bitter. I like things aggressive. And that was incredible. I did a couple dashes of Fee Brothers Black Walnut. Oh, nice. And it brought out this like little like background sweetness, I think, out of everything yeah. in there. But I never get, I shouldn't say never, I rarely get a cocktail that is bitter enough for me when I'm craving bitter things. So I wow. usually end up just going like some sort of really easy drinking lager and then an Amaro or a, a, a bitter liqueur in like a sidecar, like just as like something extra to drink. Like a side question, because you have these intermittent cravings for bitters, mm-hmm. uh, Ben, do you have the reverse, or not, I shouldn't say reverse, but physiologically complementary craving of sweet? Sometimes. It's much more rare. Really? Uh, yeah. I, um, I don't usually drink sweet. It's very, very rare. I am an absolute... Slute with an umlaut over the U for like a, we call them spring break margaritas. Yeah. Like if it comes in a big dumb glass (laughs) and is a color that doesn't exist in nature, I'm here for it. Miscellaneous sour mix. Yes. Not all night, but I'm here for one. Yeah. And if, if there's a, there's a bonus, if there is a seven ounce Coronita that, that gets dumped in there. So the beer slowly mixes in, I will do it every time. I will yell spring break. I will woo. And I will say, take your top off. Totally. Every single time. So, So, Outside of that, though, I don't really drink sweet, but I will consume said Negroni, right? Like Negroni riff, like right. a, a, a bitter cocktail. And then if I decide that I'm hungry for something, I will have like a scoop of ice cream. And really? then that's the, that's the balance out. That's, that's really interesting. If I can interject, because there's a thing that's true of me that I believe is also true of Quam. The bitterness often for me is a later in the evening counteraction to having cocktails for most of the evening that do contain simple syrups and are yeah. therefore kind of sweet. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't intentionally like to order anything that I know is going to be sweet, which comes, you know, that's like the entire annoyance of like 
Kosovich saying when people say, but not too sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Like bartenders are super annoyed by that. But if you're drinking cocktails all night at a beautiful cocktail bar, yeah. inevitably you're going to consume a lot of sugar. Yeah. And for, for me as someone who loves bitter things, I use that as a counteraction at the end of the evening. I want like an Amaro or I want some Malort because I want to like take the, that, that feeling, the cloyingness off of my palate. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Like I'm, I, I am prone Especially if I'm at a bar that maybe I question the creativity of some of the recipes where it looks like this was all just thrown together by a liquor rep or something. Right. <laughs> uh, I am I am prone to get like an old fashioned or a Manhattan in those scenarios. And those are those are sweeter than I would maybe necessarily go for on a regular basis. Right. But yeah, that's for the later in the evening, the more likely I am to want something astringent. Um, yeah. And I just really thought I thought the balance that that was achieved where I felt like, and maybe this is just because they're all from the same family and using a lot of the same botanicals with the same care that you look to when you're making everything. But uh, Danielle, I really felt like I could, I, I felt like I could taste the characteristics of all three. And then that little bit of black walnut, it was like a little bit of um, like, like chewing gum or duct tape to kind yeah. of hold them all together where there is this this nutty, slightly sweet note kind of running through all of it. But it was it was great that even when mixed together and stirred to the appropriate dilution, you could still catch all of those flavors in there. And everything that I had listened to you talk about uh, when when pertaining to like botanicals that you use, I really felt like maybe that was maybe it's psychosomatic, but I really felt like I could find all of those flavors that you were talking about. That's great. Yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Actually I'm making mental notes right now because black walnut as a a bitter garnish mm-hmm. for for those for for especially the the amaro bitters that we make it's something that I hadn't even thought about it's actually because we don't get amaro or we don't get bitter uh walnut bitters in mm-hmm. vietnam so so it's mm-hmm. something that's not readily in the forefront of my of my psychology when i'm thinking about flavors well what got me there was years and years ago uh here in minnesota we have a chain of coffee restaurants called five watt and uh, when they opened up, that was kind of when I became a devotee to um, cold press coffee. I just, I don't always love hot beverages. And so just right. cold press was an easy go-to. And uh, cold press is usually on the far end of the, the coffee drinks as far as the bitterness scale goes. Right. And uh, the at like third time in a week that I'd been in there, the barista was like, hey, you ever, you ever throw bitters in here? And I was like, like Angostura? Like I don't. I don't want it to be fruity. And he's like, no. And he showed me the black walnut, which I had only used in whiskey cocktails before. Mm, and he's like, I'm about to change your whole fucking world. And he did three shakes into my coffee and it was life changing. Like I have a bottle on hand at all times because at home, that's the only thing I will add to my coffee. And I kept coming back to not that any of your flavors embody coffee, right. but it's sort of a similar spot in my palate that I was looking to quench when I was making said Negroni riff. And so then the black walnut was like, well, this works in coffee. Yeah. You know, like why not try it? And it was this beautiful top of the palate, like sweet richness that just kind of snuck in there and held everything together. That makes total sense to me. Actually. I think that's the same way when I think about chocolate or Mm, cacao. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. It's weird because walnut does grow in Vietnam, but we don't have, we don't, manufacture anything from walnuts mm. it's a uh it's a weird weird concept even the concept of of, of harvesting early to get the green walnuts for yeah. example to make nocino it's not something yeah. that's a part of our tapestry mm. 
So now I'm, we've been trying to convince some of our farmers that, hey, we should really not sell these wholesale yeah. as is, and we should really start to think about how to process them. But walnut bitters, yeah. that's something I'm going to definitely bring back. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> hey, cheers to that. Yeah. I mean, I hope it goes fucking nuts. Hey, <laughs> That's the do. first time I've been able to use that appropriately. <laughs> yes. Uh, Charles, what about you? Where's, where's your Where's Jin taking you right now? I was uh, I was telling Katie before we started recording that during the Super Bowl, you brought over a bottle of the um, the Ka. Uh huh. The yellow rice wine, right? It's a yes. rice wine. Yeah. Correct. Fermented uh, rice wine? Yeah. So we, um, I ended up making a kind of a martini classical with that. Just that, Roku gin, and orange bitters. And it was nice. really fucking good. It was good. so good. I, I wanted to say that. I figured maybe that's where you were going to go. No, so I'm I not. I just, I, I just wanted to mention it because we were, you were talking about the Negroni that yeah. you made. For me, the, my, my drink of the moment is, uh, and I, I understand that, Daniel, that you had gone to um, Loon and the Bear this afternoon for lunch. Correct. Yeah. Friends and clients of mine, they do a thing on their menu called gin and jams. And it's very simple. It's a combination of gins, and they do have Sunkai on offer, which is really fucking cool, and then various jams or preserves. So there's like a Pikio pepper jam. There's a an apple butter. There's a yuzu marmalade. And what it is, in effect, is a little bit of that preserve with some gin, uh, some fresh lemon, and simple, all shaken together. And then you get this real dainty silver spoon with a little bit more of the preserves sort of sat on top of the beverage in the event that you would like a little more, a little sweetness, a little more flavor. You can just eat it off the spoon. You can discard it. My wife likes to put the spoon inside the drink because since it's actual silver, it ends up freezing like a little lollipop. Mm -hmm. So while cool. you're drinking, you can kind of just lick the lollipop. I will admit wow. I do the same thing. But it's, yeah, and it, it's so, it's really fun yeah. as a concept. It's, it's a great deal of fun because there are infinite combinations. The restaurant launched with, I think we did eight to start, but now it's just, they have a bunch of random jams and new gins and it's expanded so quickly that it almost will require its own dedicated menu but they're a lot of fun and it's easy for people to get into trouble yes. if i go there with marnie we're like all right we're ubering marnie because you're gonna be <laughs> yeah. you're gonna be gin and jamming pretty hard tonight i know that for sure and uh it's just yeah there, there are so many like the corsair barrel gin yeah. you know the the bouquets of of the the gins that sunkai contain are like so unique that Trying various gins from like Spain and Vietnam and Mexico, it's really cool to see the effect that it has on each of those products. I also really love that. I don't know if you picked up on this when you were there, Danielle, but I I love that it's all house made jams too. Yeah, because I think that that it does service to the amount of work that goes into the gin there. It's like not. It, it's not all house made. Oh, it's not. Yeah. It's, okay. They're they're very carefully sourced. Eventually, they will all be house made. Well, then even the ones that are sourced are of an incredible yeah, quality. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's not nothing against. I am a Smucker's devotee. I fuck with <laughs> some strawberry jelly and I fuck with some some grape jelly. Yeah, but it's not that. It's it's coming in with with flavors. The thing that excites me is that almost every time I know all the gins, 
But then I get excited because I've never thought about it with these flavors. Exactly. You know, I've never I've never thought about it with like tamarind or fig or yeah. yuzu. And right. then you get to just watch how it expresses itself through Mixed that. Berry, apricot. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Ever changing. Yeah. Today they had peach, and I think that was house made. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I haven't even yeah. seen that one yet. So yeah. that's exciting. Hell yeah. I want that right mm. now. <laughs> mm. But yeah, that that martini at um at Super Bowl. I for, I actually kind of forgot about that. That was that was amazing because again, we get, we get really used to like, okay, vermouth provides this, the spirit provides this, that's it. Mm -hmm. If you play with that a little bit, like the funkiness of that rice wine is so awesome. And it gives you some of like what a lemon oil or a little twist in there might hint at, yeah. but in such a different way. Absolutely. And there's like a little savor, uh, uh, savory note yes. in there. Like, oh yeah. man. Yeah, and you know what's funny? I was, I was, we were at, uh, I think Dario earlier today, and I was saying, the thing about something like a rice wine or say like a sherry that contains a little bit of amino acids is it'll add a little bit of umami. Yeah, and umami kind of rounds things out, pushes things up that you might not have thought about. And actually, a trick that we started experimenting with in Vietnam, which is kind of a little bit out of left field, but not really, is sticking pre-batched cocktails, like stirred cocktails, into a black garlic machine. Oh, shit. Because, say, for example, a Negroni, or we're talking about a, uh, a martini, um, there will be some caramelization that happens because it has sugars in it. But if you add something with proteins, say like a rice wine or a sherry, just a little bit, it's basically MSG for your cocktail. Yeah. And I kid you not, so the, the next time you build a Negroni... Build like, and you have a, if you have a black garlic machine, make a little bit extra. Throw it in there at about 113 degrees Fahrenheit or 45 degrees Celsius for about 30 to 45 days, and after that, a whole that that'll take your Negroni game to a whole nother universe. It's an that's, amazing, that's amazing thing. To do. I have a Broad and Taylor fermentation pop up fermentation chamber, which you can use to hold a temperature and to make black garlic. That might be something I should try in there. Yeah, and I would just like, um, you know, stick just a whole bottle of Campari in there. Of course, not in the glass, but just just stick a whole bottle of Campari in there in like a in a sous vide bag, for example. Mm. Just so you have just the the actual modifiers already black garlic, you know, thirty to forty five days out, just on hand. Um, and it's just like Dude. the most amazing thing you can do. It's, it requires no effort. You just stick it in there and you forget about it. I, I will never. <sighs> I hope I never get to the end of this. I will never stop being amazed at some of the things that we learn in the show. That is such a brilliant fucking idea, and I've never even thought about it. Yeah, I, I feel like you know, Holy black shit. garlic machines aren't too expensive. You can use a rice cooker mm -hmm. if you don't have a black garlic machine or the, the the money for one. But I feel like that should be a more popular cocktail hack. Mm -hmm. um, does wonders for 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 martinis. You don't even have to do the whole martini. Just do the vermouth. Um, and then try and make a martini with it. It's like adding a really crazy Madeira to yeah. your to your martinis. Mm -hmm. Fuck yeah, yeah. That's I, that's my thing. <laughs> I'm like dumbfounded right now. That's I just imagining where those flavors would go. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and just uh, it's an amazing thing. And you just look at the uh, the profile of of if, if it's a wine based anything, um, it just does wonders to it. Just don't do it too long. Well, actually, no. If you really want to go off the deep end, you just increase the time or temperature and everything starts to taste more like balsamic vinegar. 
And so we've gotten to the point where we've turned like a bottle of PX into literally <laughs> balsamic vinegar, but with, without the acidity. Huh. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I am here for this. Yeah. All right. Let's let's see if if it works on your machine. Otherwise, I will one hundred percent pull the trigger on that because I go through enough black garlic anyway. That would probably. I mean, it would be like within a year, I'd pay for the machine anyway. Totally. From just buying that shit. Yeah. I make a... I'm too impatient. I buy black garlic. That's fair. <laughs> I, uh, I made um, black garlic and miso paste chocolate chip cookies. Oh. And it was fuck, just an umami yeah, really good. bomb. Really like, that good. sounds incredible. I love them. So. What are we drinking next? What are we drinking next? Daniel, uh, Daniel I think uh, it's up to you. What were your specs on that Negroni? I don't know if we have time to make it. Yeah. <laughs> I did, I because I didn't know where to go with it. I literally did equal parts. So I just did one I third, guess. one third, one third. Yeah. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, let's just start with uh, sure. dry gin. Sure. Yeah, we talk about- are drinking the Songkai dry gin. So it's our flagship gin. Um, it's the first gin we made, and it's made with Northwest Vietnamese botanicals. So... Um, I spent a lot of time in the northwest of Vietnam, and that's where a lot of our relationships are strongest. And uh, it's a very spice-forward and citrus-forward gin, but the citrus is not conventional because limes, lemons, and oranges aren't native to Vietnam. And so we use different things like uh, Clausina indica, um, pomelos, and different wild peppers that have the same citrus terpenes as a lime or lemon to kind of replicate some of the similar but not so familiar flavor profiles. Yeah. I'm just in love with this, Jen. I've, since the first time we tried some of it, I was absolutely hooked. And every time, it's just a reminder of how fucking delightful that is. Thank you. And it's a beautiful bottle. Like, everything about it, there's just so much care that goes into making this. Like, sometimes... I don't want to admit this, but like having two people that own their own businesses, I'm sure you would both agree with it. I don't always want people to shop with their eyes because yeah. what really matters is what's inside. Yeah. But if that's the reason that gets people to go out and buy it, then I think it's a net win. And um, I've loved, so I've had at least two of the bottles over there. I've had at least two of those in my, we have an old barrister's bookshelf, like a lawyer's bookshelf. That's our bar. And I've had at least two bottles on that for the last like five or six months. And it's funny because almost a hundred percent of the time when people come over and they're looking at my bar, that's where their eyes are drawn. Oh, nice. Something that they're maybe not familiar with, but it's also a very like eye catching and beautiful label. And at the end of the day, I want to be like, what's inside is what matters, but also it's sexy. It's fucking well, speaking as someone from the creative yeah. field if you put care and attention to detail into the visuals it's likely you've done it to what is contained within as well the batting average is usually significantly higher if you go for <laughs> if you go for if you say hey you know what i like to uh i like to buy products in bad packaging odds are a little higher that they didn't care about what went inside that package that's just the way it goes you're not wrong we got the let's see we got makmat yeah, that's the one of the citruses that we use. It's a uh, it's Clausina indica, so it's a it's a very ancient style of citrus. It predates uh, the existence of limes in Vietnam, actually. So Vietnamese cuisine in in the U.S., for example, the lexicon of Vietnamese cuisine is often attached to fresh herbs and limes. But that's actually a relatively 
limes, the introduction of such, is is relatively new mm. in the lexicon of, uh, of Vietnamese food. Um, and so still to this day, um, especially in the highland areas, which actually there's a significant portion of the population that still lives in the highland areas, that uh, fruit, or pod rather, is still used in lieu of limes for acidity. It's either used fresh during season or lacto-fermented to extend the life or pickled so you have more acetic acid mm. um and you kind of see how it was used way back in the day like hundreds and hundreds of years ago um yeah doesn't doesn't really feel like your your average citrus yeah but it's, it was great like i remember grabbing a few of those and i was honestly just kind of walking around like sucking on them yeah and then i used the rest of the little the little packet the little satchel that we were given uh and i made a tea with it and it was oh, nice. spectacular yeah, it's good for your throat, actually, mm-hmm. uh, for, for coughs. Um, when it's actually fresh, you know, and we're in the mountains and it's fresh, you just suck on it, eat the pulp, um, but then the, the skin itself can be further fermented, um, mixed with honey, and it's used as almost like a cough syrup. Crazy. Yeah, it's got menthol-y kind of qualities to I could, it. Yeah, I can see yeah, that. Very medicinal. But it is considered a citrus? Uh, like a distant relative of citrus. It's okay. not like the, what we would call the modern citrus today. So when you say citrus, it's not uh, going yeah. to be included in the lexicon of, of citrus. For sure. So it may be in a similar family as like prickly ash, which is the only citrus that grows in the state of Minnesota. Yes. Yes. Which is the the other spice that, that we have is uh, Xanthoxylum retza, which is in that related field. Okay. Prickly ash. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. I love prickly ash. We have yeah. A, we have a distiller locally in... They brought some on the show, Jeff Rogers, when he came on the show, mm-hmm. uh, Dash Fire, that makes a, they don't, they don't bottle and sell this, but they were experimenting with making a prickly ash rum. It was just Whoa. fascinating. Yeah. Just the buzz button effect. Yeah. It was, it was so yeah. good. <laughs> just, I just kept going back being like, I can't yeah. figure this out. It's like, so this fun. Is, yeah, it's wild. I was like, please bottle this and give it to me. <laughs> just bottle it for us. Just bottle it just for us. Super <laughs> addicting. It's very similar. Have you, Okay. If you ever go to Vietnam, actually, it's not indigenous to just Vietnam. It also grows in parts of the U.S. as well. But toothache plant. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, toothache plant is a sedative huh. plant, and it gives you a. It's like a. It gives you a zing. It's yeah. almost. Do you know the whole, um, the whole trend right now of nicotine pouches? Yeah. Same kind of application process, but this is just a a flower of a plant. You stick it. In oh. Your, I've had it, but I, I, they called it by its, its actual name. It, they didn't call it toothache plant. It is crazy. Yes. Like the, you know, that, that uh, metallic numbing sensation that you get from like Sichuan peppercorns. Oh yeah. Imagine yeah. that turned all the way up. It's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever we go into the mountains, I'll always like pick as much as I can stuff it in my pocket. And as you go, you just kind of mm-hmm. get yourself a little bit. You just tuck it in your gum. Oh, totally. Kinda, you get, you get yeah. a little zingy okay. high and you just, that's mm-hmm. how you get entertained for hours Radical. on end in the mountains, you know? Yeah. Um, that sounds like a good time to me. I'm not, I'm not from movies that I've seen for sure from the eighties and nineties. It kind of feels <laughs> like what a gummer allegedly feels like with cocaine (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna throw that out there there's a brazilian liqueur that's trying to break into the market right here and they're using that as the flavoring agent no way and it's wild it's like a Mm. of course they're making it taste like some fucking garbage candy shit but that's the effect they want to have in there that's crazy yeah uh, a friend of mine had a tester bottle because he's on a 
a panel deciding whether or not they're going to bring it in, and he made a cocktail for me. And I don't like it in a full cocktail. Yeah, because it's not strong enough. It just kind of makes it feel like, am I drinking poison? Yeah, you know. Like I think the problem with that is it's like getting high without knowing you're getting high. Correct. And I've definitely the, the the reason why we don't put it in any. So we we have tinctures that we make at the distillery just of that in really high concentrations, mm. but we let people know. We're going to give you a couple drops of this on your hand, and you're just not going to be able to feel your face mm-hmm. <laughs> for 30 <laughs> minutes. For real. Yeah. So there's a lot of plants like that. So there's another vine where it completely numbs your taste buds. Um, there's another one, actually, in Vietnam where it switches sweet and uh, Yeah. So, oh, my God. Yeah. I, there's, uh, there's candies that they make yeah. where exactly. it, like they look the same, but it'll go. Yeah, that's, oh that's the same. It's derived from the same plant. This is actually what we should have done, was we should have brought all these botanicals. Damn it. Next time. Next time. Next time. <laughs> Next time. Next time we're doing that. Okay. That's so good. Topic number two. Daniel, name a place in the world that you've spent time that feels like your little hideaway whenever you're there. And would you want more people to experience this place, or are you content with it being a well-kept secret? Ooh. That's a really good question. I think... There's, there's, I think there's a couple things that I think about. I think that like, in terms of hideaway, um, for other people to be able to experience, I definitely have a few. I think one is there's a, I wish actually more people could see this, is um, there's, so the first, the last project that I worked on before I uh, started going and dabbling into the distillery business was there's a, 650 hectare um, forest reservation or preservation project in a province in Vietnam called Hà Tĩnh. Hà Tĩnh is in the north central region, right below Nghệ An province. So Nghệ An province is known as uh, very famous because it's the birthplace of Ho Chi Minh, who is mm-hmm. the um, controversial figure to some, but he is the George Washington of of modern day Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, essentially. Um, and I think that place was quite interesting because one, it used to be open to the public. So this was an experiment. Actually, this was really amazing because, um, I I got to see this place before there was a paved road built. And then what happened when there was a paved road built and what happened when the first piece of plastic came in and it was it was almost seeing the evolution of humanity before your eyes super, super accelerated. Jeez, sure. What happened when the first freezer was installed and the first taste of ice cream was had? Man. And just how people changed their minds completely, yeah. you know? Um, and then the conscious decision to throw that all away. Like, basically, they decided to cut that whole area off from, 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 from humanity again because they couldn't figure out how to deal with plastic. It's not something like, so for example, before the paved roads were built, we would eat and any leftovers were either eaten by, they, there were wild dogs that were raised there because dogs were your protectors when you go into the forest. They would run in front of you, see if there was anything you know, of danger and they'd bark and let you know. Um, anything that they didn't eat, you would feed to the pigs or you would turn into compost. There was no such thing as trash. Right. And I just remember... Um, one time I left and I came back and there was plastic and they were just like, it just doesn't go away. What do right. we do with this? There's not a trash person or a trash collection, you know, thing that, that service that comes and magically it disappears. Right. And it's a conscious deci- decision of like, we have to, 
you know, collect everything and then yeah. send it back to the city. Leave Anyways, no trace, right? To keep things short is that was one of the few places in the world I felt the way, I, you know, because it was at the beginning of a watershed, meaning that that really was geographically and topographically speaking, the cleanest that the water could be. Yeah. People there at the end of a hot day would just strip naked, jump in the stream. And if you wanted to drink, you just put your face on the water, open your mouth. And that was mm-hmm. it. There was no shampoo. You would make your own shampoo from bot- botanicals in the sure. forest. No, yeah, I think that for me is like, uh, is a, is a very good hideaway. Oh, I, um, love that. I love that so much. Yeah. And it's like, definitely invite other people. Cause it's like, it, it allows you to see kind of how far we've come literally and figuratively, um, in both good and bad from, from way life was even just a hundred years ago, I would say. So to distinguish, you'd bring people there, but would you want people generally to go there more? Totally. Because okay. I think, I think the reason I, so there's, there's two trains of thought mm. uh, when it comes to human relationship to nature and preservation conservation is Either humans should be intrinsically a part of conservation of nature, or nature can only be protected if humans are completely removed. And I'm of the school of thought that human beings have to intrinsically be a part of nature. We are also animals, um, and there's no separation between us and nature, really. And it's almost a fallacy to remove ourselves. We become alienated. And then you have a generation where things, you know, you know, they think chips grow on trees. And, you know. <laughs> for real, for real. <laughs> and yeah, so I think that actually it's it's a mistake because I think sometimes when people can't handle a situation, especially in Vietnam, like with, with like litter and trash, their automatic instinct is to 100% opposite direction. No one else is allowed in this place anymore. But I think we need to learn how to live together with nature. And that's True. only if Treat we- Treat it with we, respect yeah. and kindness. It's a dialectic. We have to cross these roads, have these conflicts to create a new synthesis, essentially. And I think we need to figure out, have more people understand, wow, as humans, we develop so quickly. And for the sake of convenience, we, we forget about the long-term issue. You know, I think in America, Facts. we throw away trash, it magically disappears, but we don't know where it goes to. It just exactly. doesn't disappear. We don't have to deal with it. Yeah. But how many Americans have actually tasted just like or anyone in the world, really. It's potable water is such a privilege. Yeah. And just to be able to swim in a stream and drink water is insane. I think, I think for me, yeah. that changes everything. That was one of my favorite things on my first venture to Lebanon when I was a teenager in my early teens. There's this stream, this spring that uh, cascades over the hillside or like the mountainside. <laughs> and there was this essentially like if I remember correctly, it's like a lion's head with the water coming out of its mouth that was sort of installed into this old limestone wall. And my cousins brought me over to it and they said, this is spring water from the mountain. It's the cleanest water you can drink. And they put their hands on her and started drinking out of it. And I did that too. And it's a only, that was the first time I can ever remember yeah. just drinking water from spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> There's some spots uh, in the area where my family is from in Norway where it's literally the water comes out of the mountain so cold that it's not possible for anything to grow in it. That's so cool. And it's the same thing. Like there's almost, and again, I don't know if this is psychosomatic, but there's almost like a sweetness to it. Yes. Where it uh, it somehow tastes better than like the, <laughs> yeah. than water. It's yeah. better water than water. I don't yeah. I don't know. But it's it really is like it's so pure that 
there's clearly minerals in it from, you know, it's filtering through rocks that have been around for a billion years. So it's not the absence of everything. It's just the absence of any chemicals, the absence of any pollution, the absence of any weird shit growing in it. And boom, there you are. I love that answer. Yeah, I think it's it's like a it's so it's something we can't live without, but yep. definitely it's been <sighs> modified. It's almost like the Matrix, where <laughs> the guy is eating the Chateaubriand steak, and he's like, "My mind is telling me this is a steak, and it's delicious, but it's not a steak." Correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. the same thing with water. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, ignorance I, I, is bliss. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> woman next to me I, I was at an account today around lunch and this couple was next to me and the the woman that was directly next to me got her water and she had one sip and she goes ugh and i'm thinking like oh it probably tastes like the soda gun you know like, yeah. like the, unfortunately that happens at a lot of bars and she reaches in her purse and she pulls out one of those little like three ounce flavor enhancers Whoa. and she just starts squirting it in and it's this like Mio or whatever yeah <laughs> it's like, it's like this, this dark like crimson purple yeah and then she looks at her the her companion and goes like i just fucking hate the taste of water and i'm like i that's a lot of people i know and i, I don't get it i don't get it like oh my god how do you not like the thing that keeps you alive i was just you know what few, i hate the smell of air just a few <laughs> days ago i was talking to someone at the cigar club about this that told me that like they're father doesn't as far as they know he's never had a glass of water yeah no way yeah. Like, I, that's fucking scary i'm telling you man i have i have people in my family that i have never seen drink a glass of water that's crazy and i it, can't dude i can't get quenched from drinking carbonated well, water yeah. if i drink a can of carbonated water i feel like i haven't had water because i love water that much yeah i just yeah a LaCroix doesn't do anything for me. It's, I like it as a separate beverage. I don't drink. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't get, yeah. a, I don't get a, a sparkling right. water or a seltzer when I'm thirsty. Some, yeah, but a lot of people do. A lot of people drink like coffee when they're thirsty or a Coke yeah. or a beer. The only, <laughs> the only coffee when I'm thirsty answer I will accept is SK coffee with that fucking lemongrass coffee. Because that was the most refreshing cup of coffee I've ever sure, had. In my but life. I'll still be thirsty though. Yeah, yeah. I'm still gonna get a water to go with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, okay, so a hideaway. Yeah. That I love, yeah. and do I want it to become popular? You know, and you can contextualize that however you'd prefer. Like, do you want it to be more touristy? Well, or it depends so on the type of place, right? I I will say that. Uh, I wish it was more popular because I just looked it up to make sure I had the location right. And it is currently closed. So, sad face. Um, oh. Literally, the first bar I ever fell in love with, like in love in love with, mm-hmm. is on the dead center north point of Grand Cayman Island. It is a bar called The Wreck. It has no doors. It has no windows. It's just you walk in, you walk out. It's got an old jukebox that still has CDs in it. It's got... At any point, one of the surliest bartenders you'll ever meet or the other surliest bartender you'll ever meet, all they do is make beers, shots, and, like, boat drinks slash party drinks. The bar itself is great. There's nothing better than walking up to a place that has open windows and open doors without the ability to close. Yeah. And you just hear the echoes of, like, 
Peter Tosh and then Jimmy Cliff nice. and then Bob Marley. And you're like, okay, I'm already like in a great mood. So it's, it's on the beach, but it's not like on the water. So it's probably about a hundred to 200 feet to, to walk there. What it is, is surrounded by palm trees and betwixt all the palm trees, they have hammocks mm. just tied up. And I rented a scooter and rode around the Island. I just wanted to do a lap. I found that place and I mm. said fuck off for six hours. And I moved from hammock to hammock every half an hour or 45 minutes, trying to decide like which way I liked it, where the best breeze was. And uh, they don't care. Like you could take drinks as far out as you want. And I said, you know, I was actually thinking about going out of the water. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. Just don't litter. You know, yeah. come back with it. So I got a frosty ass beer and I walked out and it's basically a sandbar. So you can walk out into the water like again, as somebody who's six five or about two meters tall, I could walk out another hundred feet in the water, and I was barely up to my waist. Wow! And there was a moment looking back, like I'm just looking out at this gorgeous, like azure blue expanse, and then I turn around, and you could faintly hear reggae music, and you could see people sort of like one by one coming in and out and getting drinks. But what you saw was all these people who were just letting time pass and just just swaying on hammocks. And that was an image that is burned into my brain and will forever be burned into my brain as a reminder of I should slow down. I should take a little bit more time for myself. But also that that's a part of vacation. I'm a stick it all in there. Let's hit every museum. Let's go to every dinner. Like yeah. da da da. That was the first time that I remember really consciously understanding the, the other side of what a vacation is. You know, like I yeah. am. How to relax to the max. Yeah, yeah. And Just I'm not. like let, let the day come to you. Yeah, and I don't, I'm not good at that. I'm spectacularly bad at that. Even like the last time that I was in Mexico, I found a way to see three different Incan and Mayan ruin sites and like, I went to a cultural museum and I went and caught some live music. Like I'm just not, I'm not good at unplugging. And yeah. that was a reminder for me to, Hey, actually pump the brakes here. And I would say that I want to keep it a fucking best kept secret because the, yeah, when you, when you get on that scooter, you get out of the tourist area. Yeah. So you're driving through like where the real people that live in the Cayman islands live. And like I stopped and I got some oil barrel jerk chicken I had a couple of like baggy pouches that were just delicious, like some sort of fruit drink. Don't care. It was amazing. And then I got there and I'm like, fuck, like this is, this is the opposite of what I normally do, but this bar has my heart. And as much as I want to keep it hidden, the fact that I looked it up and it's fucking closed right now, like, mm. damn it, more people need to go there so they have enough money they can stay yeah. open. Yeah. Just when you go there, everyone needs to leave. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> My bar today, motherfucker. If I could have like a timeshare, like, <laughs> time you know, one, yeah. one weekend every share. two years, right. I just show up. But then there's also the, I, living in the center of North America, like literally dead center in the continent, we're not built, our society is not built for anything less than like a car or mass transit on a national level. It's very hard to get around. Mm -hmm. I 100% am down at some point in my life to live in scooter culture. And I don't care if it's Southeast Asia, if it's Italy, uh, I, I don't, I just, on an island, Scooty I don't care. Way. There's nothing better 
than like literally throwing a Bluetooth speaker in back, turning on some tunes, and just driving. You're going to need some nicer scarves. Oh, <laughs> my friend. Some Italian, I think we both know. Some Italian scarves. As I hope the only one in this room that owns a white Italian silk scarf. Hey. And World War One well, motorist goggles. <laughs> All right. So, okay. Well, then I'm the one who needs, if I'm going to join you, yeah. I'm going to need some scarves. Real talk, Daniel. I bought them because uh, for my friend's 40th birthday, I bought him a gift certificate to drive a tank. No. And way. I was like, and if, and if you... It, two two people get to go, so I was like, "All right, if he's going to be driving it, with and live I get, rounds or no, <laughs> you you get to shoot a blank." Jesus. Swear to God, yes. it's amazing. But uh, so he was going to drive it, so his his head is like down by the tread, like yeah. poked out, and so then I was in the turret, and I'm like, "If I'm going to be in the turret, I need to have something appropriate." Right. So I ordered leather bound <laughs> World War One pilot's goggles. And then a long Italian white silk scarf. Yeah. And there is actual video of me going, Tally ho! Yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did Master P think about you renting the gold tank? Well, that's the problem is uh, <laughs> I kept stealing little chunks of it. So then he tried yeah. to take it out of my hands. Oh, oh no. that's, <laughs> that's how you paid for that scarf. Yeah, you wanted to make me say, huh? That's how you paid for that Italian <laughs> scarf. Uh, so yeah, I uh, the rack. If you're ever in the Cayman Islands, it's it says temporarily closed, not permanently. So it also might just be a seasonal thing. But if you're ever down there, first of all, get away from Seven Mile Beach and where all the hotels are, because yeah. all you're doing is you're watching people larp and cosplay yeah. island culture. <laughs> get the fuck away from that, yeah. and then just take time. Stop in at little markets, eat the fucking food like that. That. That uh, oil barrel jerk chicken was what started my obsession that still sits to this day. Yeah. Uh, like, and it was like $2. I mean, get yeah. the fuck out of here. You Insane. know, I, I just paid $12 for a daiquiri. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well that's because that was going to Papa Hilton. Well, um, it's possible that bar came and went. And maybe it did. <laughs> maybe it did. Who knows? Yeah. Came and went. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the wreck. Came and went. I, okay. I get it. The, for I'm the people. Not gonna, I'm it not going to acknowledge it. It's for the people. Okay, it makes like it more special, though. Baby Gator. Sorry, yeah. What's that, Daniel? Oh, no, I said it just makes it more special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course. Where, uh, where, Where's your hideaway, Dr. Awad? In Lebanon, when you drive up the coast from Beirut, where the airport is located, before you arrive to where my condo is situated in, in Batroun, there's a city called... Biblos, or Jabail, has two names, but perhaps better known as Biblos. It feels like it's ripped out of a history book. It has all these beautiful ancient souks with these ornate archways, little bars nested in between all of them. Uh, the The walkways are, are made of brick that have probably been there for thousands of years. There's a Genoese crusader citadel there there's a uh, roman amphitheater there's a phoenician necropolis like all these things are an egyptian tomb all these things are like within walking distance of one another crazy and there's a pier because you're right on the mediterranean is literally on the mediterranean there's a pier just loaded with fishing boats and like nice yachts and restaurants including the place that I think the first restaurant I ever went to is in that city. It's a place called um, the Adum. It was opened in the 1960s. 
they do, it's basically like a Lebanese diner. It even feels like a diner in there with the waxy menus and just Lebanese food. And they do like the um, booza, the Lebanese ice cream that's real stretchy. Mm. That was, I remember, I famously remember having that when I was 13 years old when I first went, that my cousin took me there to have what they call cocktail, which is not an actual cocktail. It's literally <laughs> ice cream and fruit in yeah. one of those tall, old school diner glasses. Oh, yeah. Yes. And you got to dig all the way to the bottom to get everything mm-hmm. out of it. It's got honey on it and whipped cream. But that feels, that city feels like something from another time. And there is no tourist presence whatsoever. And the reason it came to mind as a place that would be like a hideaway is that I always visit there at least once when I take a trip to Lebanon, even though I don't live in that city, just because of how beautiful it is. And there's like these fantastic bakeries and my cousins love going there. And I used to be able to buy Cubans there. Now they're fake, unfortunately. I've noticed on my most recent trip. But that place is feels sacred in a sense because of all those things like the Phoenician necropolis and all the things that are located there and I'm okay with it not being a haven for outsiders because it's a place I can get around by speaking the language that's not true everywhere places right. that I yeah. visit where I'm gonna need help I've gone places where if I don't have assistance, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Is, can anyone so English anyone? But the fact that I'm fluent in Arabic, that's that's the place that I feel is the greatest combination of somewhere that's absolutely wonderful that I can get along just fine by myself. Uh, and it's not swamped with just people hoping to catch a glimpse. Mm. Of Charles Abad. Charles in charge? <laughs> 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 Ooh, I, hear, I hear he's in charge. I hear he's famous. They just ogle my beard. They don't know who I am. As you do. I mean, it is a glorious beard, so <laughs> can't get mad about that. Well, shall we cheers? Let's cheer something. Yeah. What are we doing next, Daniel? What would you like to drink oh, next? Back to... Oh. We go to floral? We are going to the floral gin. So that... Still on the dry gin category, um, but this gin is using five different flowers... Uh, native to the Delta regions of Vietnam. So a uh, combination of magnolia, um, jasmine, pomelo blossom. Pomelo is a citrus that predates the modern grapefruit. Um, native, grows native to the north of Vietnam. Delicious. Um, yeah, it's an amazing fruit. Ilang Ilang, which mm. is the bubble gum that people will smell in perfumes, but the actual flower mm. smells like ripe uh, cherries, jackfruit and bananas oh. and a flower called mongzong which means dragon claw and that's a flower that smells like granny smith apples had a baby with bananas wild yeah it's weird it's not something you would consider floral as a gin you gotta Maybe. carve out the apple yeah <laughs> core <laughs> we have some charades going on for 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 a banana and an I apple know. having a baby together. <laughs> banana charades, huh? Yep. I know. Right. Banana charades. I'm not mad at that. <laughs> Save it. <laughs> yeah, this is this one is so wonderfully fruity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and you, you do get the, you know, it it reminds of a Belgian beer that is very estery. Oh, yeah. The, you know, the bubblegum and banana impact is yes. something you would experience yes. in, in a lot of a lot of European beers. Uh, I got a lot of Hefeweizens sometimes either go one direction or the other. Yeah. Sometimes you get bananas. Sometimes you get cloves. Sometimes you get uh, bubblegum. Sometimes some combination of those, but those are all derived from esters in particularly a Hefeweizen. But yeah, yeah that's... It's delightfully fruity. You get that like bubblegummy impact, yep. right? Where that's that's kind of I guess uh, peripherally yes. floral. Yeah, it's a weird science. Is nature is kind of weird when you think about it. As everything is just compounds, you get all these very nostalgic things wrapped up into one. It's really cool. It's nuts. Yeah. Well, cheers to that. And uh, all right, question number three. I have been on a sandwich kick lately. Sandwiches, if you will. Sammy's, I don't like the handheld term, but pretty much everything else. <laughs> I love stuff that comes with an edible plate. Like the device that's using it to get to my mouth without making everything a mess is also edible. I am here for that. Yes. My simple question is, build me your perfect sandwich. Ooh, that is tough. Right? So... The question is, is the formal definition of sandwich, does it include, does it have to include bread? There are no rules to this. Wow. Wait, so what is the rule? What is the definition? There has to be something. Whatever you would decide a sandwich is, is okay. I guess I'll do, I'll answer both ways. If it is a conventional wheat baked sandwich, meaning that the outer layer is somewhat baked, I would say, oh, that's tough. So I used to live in New Orleans, and so this is tearing at me. Yeah. I feel like I've lived in two places that have been very, very sandwich heavy. Yeah. It's New Orleans and now Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my mind automatically went to the bang me. Yep. Um, but then I was thinking about how in New Orleans, the Vietnamese American experience has placed the Vietnamese po' boy, essentially. So taking what we know of the bang me, what we know of the po' boy, and merging the two. Mm. Um I think that is probably where my mind is starting to head. I would say for me, the thing, so the thing I have, the thing about Vietnamese bread is it is a product of harder times of colonialism and it is a bread that was made out of hard times. Um, same thing with the po' boy, you know, light, airy bread that has, you know, similar breads. Yeah, no gluten development, um, yep. you know, made to just hold stuff together and absorb some sauce. Um, but I would say one of the two styles of bread, um, no gluten development. I would say a layer of pate. Uh, I would say ideally like rabbit, something a little bit more game. Sure. And um, some cold cuts that are not fermented, if Ooh. that makes sense. Yeah, so like yeah. not salami, yeah. nothing too sour. Um Pickled daikon, radish, and a mix of like microgreens. So yeah, I guess like a bang me essentially. Yeah, okay. Um, but lots and lots of cucumber. And oh yeah. Here's the kicker. Pickle, is hold on, pickled or non-pickled? Non-pickled. Okay. Um, but here's the kicker for me, and this is more nostalgia. Is there's an umami sauce called maggi. Oh yeah. Uh, M a g g i. The seasoning sauce. Yes, the seasoning sauce. <laughs> Drizzle that on top. That's nostalgia for me. Oh hell yeah. When I, was, when I was in middle school, my mom would actually make us just like straight a bang me with like just uh, pork loaf, which is like the Vietnamese bologna, 
uh, cucumber and just maji sauce. That was like the most. Mm. I would 100% eat that. Oh, totally. Yep. I mean, at the time, I didn't think it was very cool. But now that's like my my nostalgic sandwich. So anything with cucumber and maji on it, I'm yeah. a sucker for. I'm going to brand your sandwich. Yeah. A rabbit and its food. The rabbit and its food. <laughs> it does have all the components to okay. <laughs> so that would be I would say that would be my my ideal bang me I love that. sandwich that uh, sounds lovely now the old rabbit terrine as the, uh, the pate <laughs> yeah. I'm not mad why at not? that why not let's why go not? exactly uh, Charles you and I also going back to that Super Bowl party did make one fucking hell of an epic sandwich and I know that you have a similar love for ridiculous sandwiches what is your what, what what's your what's your dream this is always going to be this is a fleeting thing in my brain because we're always thinking of something else in a given moment that's kind of you know that's what we say you can answer a question in a different way on any given day what i'm thinking of now and this will give me the opportunity to talk about what's forthcoming yeah. is i have a sandwich i'm going to make for our hypothetical but likely happening live stream <laughs> of WWE Elimination Chamber with Nerdy this Saturday if you're listening live at 4am to 7am we're going to watch Pro Wrestling Pro Wrestling with nice. Nerdy former guest of the podcast famous musician at the Haddon which is my the private cigar club that I go to and we're also going to have something that Quam and I have been discussing for a very long time called yes. Dark Lunch Dark lunch. We're going to make lunch in the middle of the night. <laughs> and we had to decide what we wanted to make because it's something we've been talking about for ages. And we're like, what better opportunity than watching yep. this show that takes place in Perth, Australia? Hello, Australia. And, Good night. And hanging out with some friends. And Quam told me what he was making. And then I was thinking about what I would make. And I had a million ideas come in and out of my brain. And I had something pop up on my feed on Instagram that instantly took my brain to a place. And what that thing was is I saw the um, the brisket from Ugly Drum in Los Angeles. It's a, uh, it's a pastrami brisket mm -hmm. that looks just fucking ridiculous. They ship it. So I got a half brisket. It's being shipped. It'll arrive here on Friday. And I'm going to make a kimchi Reuben. So I'm going to use that ugly drum pastrami and some Polish rye from Kramarczyk's, which is a historic deli here in Minneapolis. I'm going to make uh, air quotes Russian dressing with gochujang. And I think, so here's here's an interesting thing. Maybe you two have an opinion on it. Let's, let's workshop it. I don't know what to do for the cheese because I feel like just doing Swiss would be good, but I'm like, do I get real weird and do like, Berlat Savarin or like some kind of gooey cheese, especially knowing that this is probably not going to be like a super hot Reuben. I'll bring my torch, but we don't have an oven or a hot plate. I was thinking along the same lines. I would actually go all the way and go like when the poise, something like super stinky. Mm. I, and I, I love, I love super stinky and especially like something fermenty, like really good kimchi. Yeah. Leaning into totally. super umami funky. I love that. Yeah. And kimchi's got enough acidity. Oh man. I'm telling you like a poise, like that's melted over. I think that yeah. would be really amazing. Okay. I like it. Well, see <clears throat> that goes in the face of what I was going to say. And I think you actually 
might be right. Like, I think I, the more I think about it, I might go that way. But the first thing that popped into my brain was like, how do you find something that can like also stand up to everything else going on in there? And I kept going back to dill Havarti because I think the dill notes in there would be really fun with the kimchi. And then you're going to have a really savory, really smoky, really salty pastrami. The freshness of dill might kind of add a little brightness in there. Yeah. The nice thing about dill Havarti too is that it, in its like, cold state it's already kind of melted right <laughs> it's just so soft yeah, that's true it's just super soft katie's got an idea apparently oh yeah katie's, well katie's listen katie i'm gonna try and put yaitus in everything and oh, i'm fucking here yeah. for it but i don't <laughs> think he... <laughs> no i i mean i like it i don't know about that app particular application i mean i was I just, thinking like okay the last time i went to the cheesemonger i would wrap I, you know what? I'll just bring some with and we'll try it. Yeah, I would wrap <laughs> some yaitus with some pastrami and then get a little kimchi on there and just take why that as like a not? Uh, last time I was at the cheesemonger, I was like, I was being probably a bad customer and touching all the ripe cheeses because every time <laughs> you see a cheese that is perfect when it's the riper that it is, yeah, the better the riper it is. You don't know necessarily by looking at it. You can suspect. Yes. But you don't know until you touch it. And I was there to get. Uh, stuff to make the sandwich that the, the Super Bowl. <laughs> I wasn't there for that. And the I had to, double burrata. I had to talk myself out of like eleven cheeses while I was getting everything for yeah, the double burrata. While I was getting everything to make the Super Bowl sandwich, but there were so many, including like the bur, uh, burlat Severin, where I was like, oh my god, just touching it, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I, tactile. I am excited yes, to have said sandwich. And just so y'all know out there listening, I'm not fucking limping in. I am doing uh, beef, pork, and veal meatballs uh, pan fried and then finished in sauce with um, some delightful cheese on a homemade focaccia. So I'm very excited about that. That is absolutely like a, a go-to sandwich for me when I like... My wife hates meatballs, so usually when she goes out of town, I make a meatball <laughs> sub or some sort of meatball something. Uh, but the the sandwich that we had for the Super Bowl was a ridiculous amount of mortadella, roasted red peppers. Uh, there was a lot going on, and it reminded me yet again how much I love mortadella. And so I have this dream sandwich sort of constructed in my head right now that I need. And this is why I wanted to ask this, because I, I was looking for a little bit more inspirato. But I want to do a riff on... A club sandwich. First of all, take the middle bread out, toss yeah. it out the window. Don't give a fuck about that. I, I really don't care about deli cut ham, but I would love to roast a chicken and cut some of that meat off and chop it up with some skin. Yeah. So you got chopped chicken. That's the turkey part of the club. Okay. Then you do some mortadella, which would take place of the ham. And then I want some crispy bacon on that. Funky ass, super sour pickles. I loved what we did with whipping the ricotta with um, the uh, Calabrian chilies. Bring that back, but instead of ricotta, use some hummus and then go in with a super spicy mustard and have that be the spread. And then I want a super crunchy, crispy bread. Like every bite, it's just fucking dandruff of, of crumbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I want... I want to need the mortadella to like smooth out the roof of my mouth yeah. because it's become so jagged with, with all of that, that to me, like, and then tomatoes, lettuce for sure. If tomatoes are looking good, definitely want to rock some of those. I think that would be a delicious sandwich. Maybe a piece of like 
some sort of like sharp cheddar, something that's also like salty, but has its own thing to it. And I like the, just a little sideways riff on a club sandwich, a thing that like, if I'm stuck at a place where the food all kind of looks terrible, I'll get a club sandwich. Cause yeah. you know, maybe a little chicken soup or something to dunk it in. Like that's pretty safe across the board. I just feel like we could do more with it. Wow. You are <laughs> a sandwich evangelist. Yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love everything about that. It's also fun that you brought up Mortadella, which obviously I'm more morbidly obsessed with, and you brought up on me because one of the ideas that I had for <laughs> this weekend was doing a on me, but with uh, Mortadella that was pan-fried a little bit, making a, a, a bon mort. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's like. Crisp it up a little bit and then do basically all the other ingredients still do, you know, the pate. I mean, shit, maybe you can make pate out of mortadella as well. It's basically. It's halfway there. It's sliced pate at that point. Maybe that's how I could make mortadella, which (laughs) remember when I brought up, because you were talking about like a sandwich on, uh, I think it was the MJ Matheson episode two. We're talking about making sandwiches, and I was like, "If you made a homemade mortadella, but make it like super spicy, you can call it mortadella. <laughs> so maybe you could do that in the spread. Yeah. The fucking the, okay. the the evil sandwich, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking here for it. the brood witch. That's what it is. Yeah. The brood witch. I am here for that. Absolutely. I don't think that the Reuben will be too spicy with kimchi, and because I was like, well, yeah. I want to make the Russian dressing, but a little bit different. And I was like, well, fuck, I have gochujang, and that's another Korean element, so why not put that mm-hmm. in the $1,000 Russian dressing, whatever you want to call it? I think that's going to work pretty nicely. Yeah. Let's go. More umami than spice, mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of funk, lots of umami, and a little bit of heat. I mean, I might, maybe maybe we'll have some hot sauce on hand in case we want to go extra boot. Totally. Like vinegar-heavy hot sauce. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, because the meat is so rich. Yeah. Barbecue is one of those things, right? and we've talked about this before. I love to eat it. I just turns out I didn't want to eat as much as I felt like I wanted to eat when I was yeah. looking at it. That's a fact. Yeah. Definitely. Well, cheers. cheers. Uh, I feel like we got uh, on to the next one. I'm uh, I'm, I'm about good. ready. I'm, I'm okay You're good? continuing with this one. I think yeah. we were both because, yeah. you know. Katie's trying to kill me. She poured it all the way to the rim <laughs> for some reason. She looked at me and pointed. It's very frightening. If Automation. we were going to continue, would you suggest the, the Roselle next? I would probably suggest the rice wine. It's a little bit lighter in palate, uh, more sour. Kind of reset the palate a little bit before we get into the Amaro-style liqueurs. Thank you so much. Awesome. Because Do you want to you wanna end something on a bitter note? I think we're going to get increasingly bitter as we end out the last two. Why don't you tell us about it, uh, regardless the, well, of how much of this we consume, but Quam's going for it. And then when I'm done with this, I'll pour some in. I also, yeah. I really love that I poured this two and a half feet from my face. And the <laughs> minute I turned that bottle, it was, it, I, I'm so in love with this product and I've gushed to you about it before, to your face, Daniel. But I love the fact that we finally have this in our market because oh. yeah. I don't know anything like it. Like yeah. it's it's just we so both, different. We it's both so cooed over it yeah. when we went to that first party yeah. when you were presenting your products at a local restaurant here called Hi Hi. But when we had that one, we both kind of looked at each other and made that kind of old face, like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we were both cooing. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. yeah, and I think it's it's really great because I think you know New France wine were were really strong advocates from day zero on on this product. It's so it's it's called Ka, um, K H A. It's a natural uh, rice wine. So rice wine is interesting because it's often mis- 
interpreted and translated in the West. So most people think rice wine as a clear mm-hmm. spirit that often comes in a plastic water bottle mm-hmm. in parts of Asia, which is not true. That's rice spirit um, distilled. Yeah. So rice wine is a fermented beverage like wine. Um, under U.S. lots, it's considered a wine. Um, and we make ours out of sticky rice. Um, so if you've ever had like Thai food, you know, the mango sticky rice, that kind of sticky sweet rice. Um, two types of sticky rice. It's a purple rice and a yellow flowering rice. Um, and we ferment it like sake with koji, um, except the Vietnamese version called baing man. So like a, uh, the Korean version, Nuruk. Um, yeah. Kind of okay. a micro yeah. cocktail. I had a note about this. So I was going to bring it up <laughs> if you didn't. <laughs> yeah. No. Can you tell us more about that? Because I'm really yeah. fascinated. It's 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 really weird because it's like, uh, so now the whole idea of ambient or, or natural fermentation is kind of on the up and up, both in wineries and breweries and in just anything fermentation. Um, but basically the way it's made is you take some sort of a starch. So this is usually in the form of rice powder in parts of Vietnam. Um, and you basically, you dampen it. You mix it with with herbs or with something that is known to have a large concentration of the microbe you're, a microbe you're trying to go for. So say, for example, the Hmong in Lao Cai will use a plant called Hong Mi, which has a high concentration of uh, a microbe called Amylomyces ruxi. So it's a very mm. gnarly, hairy, almost like a rug. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you think of koji is very, very, very well, you know, behaved, yeah. you know, the bell yeah. of the ball kind yeah. of thing. This is like the punk rock cousin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, down to thrash and destroy and, you know. I was picturing the little um, charcoal mites from Studio Ghibli movies. Oh, also fair. yeah, they are just like <laughs> indomitable. Um, but it's it's basically you just leave it out and it will collect all the microbes. It'll actually turn fuzzy and then you, you go and you dry it. And it contains a mixture of yeast, bacteria and all this fungus. And you ground it up and then you inoculate whatever you're trying to to uh, to ferment with it. And that was through a process of natural selection. You're just trying to. Wow. Get, yeah. Over centuries. Um, Holy shit. If you ever go to these places of, you know, in China and parts of Vietnam where people are specializing in capturing microbes, mm-hmm. you know, their whole house is just, I mean, you know, you and my partner's here as well, but uh, our kitchen, if you leave rice out, it just starts to turn fuzzy, you know, because there's so many spores. Uh, right. Over time, you start to build your own microbe safe house, if you will. A lot, um, of, a lot of health videos right now about how rice will kill you if you eat it an hour after you cooked it. Yes, and um, th- th- it's, a, it's a rabbit hole. There's always uh, precautions you should take. So say, for example, with us, um, that's the traditional way of doing buying men. You're kind of flying by the seat of your pants, yeah. and it's na- literally natural selection. Kind of seeing what's, what happens, like yeah. the dominant bacteria. <laughs> exactly, and it, if, if it'll kill you or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, use your discretion advised, of course. Yeah. You know, we don't want to get you all in trouble. So so what we do is we have a lab, so we, we end up doing that, but we isolate everything that we collect, and we make sure it's food-grade, and we rebuild and reconstitute after we remove anything that's that's potentially pathogenic or, or harmful. Sure. And that's what we're using to, to inoculate the rice. Okay. So whereas Japan, it's just 
it's Koji, you know? And yeah, we're left with this. It's a, it's like an Oloroso sherry meets a sake. Beautiful. <laughs> I do feel like we, we, hold on, we have to, sorry. <laughs> no, no, we, we just, I just have to read this. The pre- <laughs> Warning. The previous statement features st- <laughs> stunts and experiments perf- either performed by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, libations for everyone and the producers of this show <laughs> must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any fermentation that we have spoken about on this show. This is like this is like uh, this is like. Jack Asperger for mixology. Absolutely, it's absolutely. Like, you know how foraging has become kind of like, or has had its limelight, you know? Yeah. I always nope. also say, do at your own risk. You've never, uh-huh. you know, there are certain things that you eat that will flat, flat you out, you know, like there, on the spot. There are two subreddits that I, well, there's a bunch of subreddits that I love above most, but two of my all-time favorites are Oops, That's Deadly, where it's just people that, like, find cute bugs or little, like, animals that are super, super poisonous. They're like, yeah. look at this little fellow. You're like, put it down now. And the other one is Everything Can Be Food Once. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no. And Someone love, found out. Oh, my God. Like, the shit that people just eat, like, all fucking willy-nilly. You're like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah someone forages around and found Not out. Not yep. a good sure. idea because... Anything that's attractive is attractive for, for two reasons. Good for you or trying to kill you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you foraged around and found out. That's fucking... Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Dimmick. I literally amazing. said that. Oh, I... <laughs> I had my headphones off. Sorry. Oh, Hashtag. No, I, well, I said it like four minutes ago. Yeah, I wasn't listening. Right. Well, see you later. We need to trademark that saying. That's what you <laughs> No, we do. don't. No, we don't. Yeah, forage around and find out. God, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, All my, right. yeah my, mycelium, it's, you know... It's a total crapshoot. Yeah, never. I don't even. I I never mess with mushrooms. I find in the wild. You just don't know. Nope. You know they usually oh, sp- yeah. they sprout out of detritus. You don't know what it's sprouting. Oh, sure. Yeah, but also there's some where you know that you can trust them, and some where you're not sure. And I'm the type of forager where if I don't know, I can trust it. I'm not that guy that's gonna like pick a bunch of them and go on the internet and be like, "Will this kill me?" And then have a stranger tell me, yeah. "No, that won't kill you." I'd rather just pick the <laughs> good ones enough. That, yeah, I'll pick yeah. the ones that I know won't kill me. Exactly. Here's here's a funny thing. Like you think most animals know the things that they're supposed to avoid just naturally. Oh They've no, evolved. they don't. They evolved. My cat will try to get after flowers that I know will bring him harm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give a shit about the ones that he could just chew on. You know, he could tuck one of them in his gums and get high. Like, uh, uh, you know, most flowers. But whenever we have flowers that could potentially yep. harm him, he tries to eat them. And that's why I try never to get flowers I, like that. I do think, though, cats have a weird vibration on that because they also will go to the person who's most allergic and they will go to the person who hates cats the most <laughs> every time. <laughs> I think so, that's more of a social instinct. Yeah, maybe it is. Like, hey, why don't you want a party? You're they're standoffish. You know, I think I should be near you. They're sadistic. Yeah. Because they get mad at people who try to pet them too much. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, hey, why aren't you trying to pet me a little bit before I get mad at yep. you? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Two soft strokes before I bite your thumb. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, that's a, yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> okay, where are we at? What are we? I think it's here? you again. The hell? Okay. So, we know that you use a lot of beautiful and unique botanicals in your distillations. Spotlight a spot, uh, spice or an herb that you think deserves more recognition. Whoa. 
Hmm. I'm trying to think of one that might get me in trouble and one that's a little bit more safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, the trouble with who? I don't know. I think, okay. okay. I think, um, mm-hmm. ooh, we could hypothetically. Yeah, there you go. Allegedly. We say allegedly. 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 Oh, yeah. I think, okay. So allegedly. I think it's, it's, it's interesting. I think, um, allegedly. I think, like, I think. What isn't alleged is is the historic use of uh, of um, okay. I'll do this in in, in 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 more serious fashion. I think is is one botanical that I think could use a lot more spotlight is actually now I'm now I'm thinking on the alleged statement. <laughs> do you want to take a moment to think about it? And Quam can answer. I figured you'd have a lot to choose from, where you'd be like, ooh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is what is Hmm. Okay. Actually, there's, 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 there's two. I think it's, it's all related to a very, uh, a similar part of Vietnam. Is um, so I think there's, there's one botanical that's not at all risky. Is um, or not at all like controversial. I should say is it's, it's honey and honey wax from the Southeast Asian black dwarf bee. It's a um, interesting. Yeah, it's what we use um, to put the beeswax outside of the on top of the uh, the amaro bottle that we have. Um, It's an indigenous bee species um, to Southeast Asia. Um, I think one of the things that I think humans are really good at is when we set our minds to do something. Say, for example, save the bees. We are saving only one type of bee. Correct. (laughs) At the expense of all other pollinators, even if they are subsets of bees. Um, I think that uh, while the intentions are good, I think human beings, we can be very, very, very tunnel visioned. Very myopic. Um, Yeah, very myopic. And I think that's actually something to pay to potentially uh, bring light to is is we need to holistically look at all pollinators. Yep. Um, whether or not they give us honey or not. And in this case, the black dwarf bee does give us honey. It's a lot funkier than your, your, your conventional honey bee. Um, a lot less productive. Um, it doesn't take well to domestication. Um, but I think that is something that we talk about is we stray away from using any, um, farmed or, or I should say farm, but more conventional species of bee-made honey, um, just okay. because that pushes the market to to push out all the other bees. Sure. Yeah. Um, like the way the way that we did with bananas. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. Totally, and that's 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 a shame because yeah, in Vietnam we we're still lucky enough to have a lot of the natural or the, not the natural but the heirloom species of bananas. Right. Um, and then the other, I would say the other. Botanical I was talking about, and I think this is something that I've been, uh, it's quite interesting, is, is for us, it's a botanical with the code name of 138 in Vietnam. So it's, 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 it's poppy. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and historically in Vietnam, it's been used, and it's given the moniker of brown fairy, because very much like how absinthe was given the moniker of green fairy, um, it does have like very muscle relaxing, you know, properties to it. It's been used historically to treat muscle pains, uh, stomach pains. I mean, it was used in the original, you know, a lot of medicine in North America. Anyways. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
And I think that's actually something that's quite misunderstood. I think human beings, we go through these cycles and like really extreme reactions to what is illegal and what's not. And the, the line is quite arbitrary. I mean, now there are talks of, we were just talking before we went on air about the legalization of, or were we? Or was yeah. that the other meeting? But the legalization of, of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, and in California, they're talking about the same thing with mushrooms. I think that's something that's also yeah. misunderstood right now is, I mean, yes, opiates are wreaking havoc in America, but I think um, it's such a, a part of medicine in other parts of the world that... But that's, that's yeah. the thing, though, is you're... Like, you can't blame the origin plant for the extrapolation of 100 years of profiteering in science. Yes. Got it to this hyper, hyper um, potent version of the active chemicals. Like, that's the thing that always drives me crazy, is we never talk about the root reasons why there's drug abuse. Yes. We never talk about helping people. We just go like, what's the biggest blanket we can throw on everything? And I think that that can be so harmful because we're literally like, to use an old adage, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. We're not paying attention to why this has existed for thousands of years and been a part of medicinal cultures through the whole thing. We just go, it ended with somebody died. So now everything has to be fucked. And like, of course, we can't possibly find any nuance because that doesn't exist in our society anymore. But it's re- it is really frustrating to see that all of the progress must be thrown out the window because of where we allowed it to get to and the businesses aren't punished. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the, right. the doctors prescribing it aren't punished. Yeah. All of it. The only people that get punished are the, are the farmers. Yeah. And it, it, it's, you know, it's interesting. It doesn't teach us to develop re- healthy relationships with with just consumption in general, yeah, you know, with self-control, um, with our emotions. I think like everything in controlled doses, like as long as you understand your reaction, we're not teaching people to, to have healthier relationships with themselves and with consumption. Like food is the same way, I would say. Um, of course, it's not nearly as addictive as, say, like an opiate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, we, uh, we have knee-jerk reactions to, to things. And I think, uh, yeah it can lead to very disastrous consequences. Mm-hmm. Fuck. That's so much better and deeper than my bullshit. <laughs> I, I literally, it's funny though that you did reference it because I, um, I honestly wanted to, to throw out, uh, to throw out marijuana. I, um, I enjoy as a, a, a recovering hophead from the craft beer industry. I love that vegetal, grassy, bright green note that marijuana derivatives bring into things. And in the same way that I love like cilantro, uh, the leaves of the marijuana plant are fucking delicious. Yeah. Yeah. And they're nowhere near as potent as the buds, but they will still give you an effect. Yes. And I know that this is just, the war on drugs and reefer madness and the dare programs of the eighties and nineties. I know that it just, it linked it up with so many people in their heads about the, Oh, this is super illegal. And at the end of the day, I want the thing that doesn't taste like the thing. And that's fine. I understand that you want the effect without tasting it. But again, I don't want to divorce ourselves from nature. I really enjoy the actual flavor of the plant and bringing it in on things, uh, I uh, 
my wife was out of town for two weeks and I had a couple of different groups over for food and I made a ceviche and one of the herbs that I diced up and threw in there was leaves from a marijuana plant. And it was a very, very background effect at best, but there was, there was a little bit of a, you know, an intoxicant to it, but the, the bright, beautiful flavor of these plants that were raised legally without any pesticides, without any chemicals, without anything, <clears throat> and grown with love in a literally perfect environment. Yeah. You know, they're, they exist in tents that are humidity controlled and heat controlled. This is, as far as that strain of plant goes, the best possible ver- version of that plant. Yeah. And to be able to take that and mince it up and throw it in. And the only thing I told people was that there may be at some point um, a little bit of THC introduced. Are you okay with it? Everybody was super cool with it. They assumed because I make a lot of tinctures that that that's where it was going to come from. And everybody said they loved the flavor of the ceviche, but nobody picked out that that's what it was. Yeah. And you know what's crazy is the auxiliary effect of all this is you lose, because a lot of Southeast Asian cuisines actually use either the TH, you know, the cannabis plant or derivatives of it, especially the leaf in seasoning. So, yeah. and the, the side effect of just blanket banning is if an actual real one is, so in the Northwest of Vietnam, the Hmong community is actually well, really well renowned for planting hemp and using that to create textiles. However, because it's related to cannabis, it falls under the same scrutiny of the government and you all of a sudden lose centuries yep. and centuries of knowledge of you're not even getting high. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like we just don't care to go and build out nuances, Correct. essentially. You lose cuisine, like what you, were so- you, what you were talking about, you know, and you lose medicinal botany knowledge, for example. Yeah. A lot of the places in the northwest or in the mountain regions of, of the world where I think there's an, uh, a sociological term called zumia, the ungovernable um, but they grow, you know, opium plants in the backyard for use of animal feed, using the leaf as a, as a seasoning, and then also using it to make their own medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not trying to become Pablo Escobar, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But because of, you know, the instance uh, of Pablo Escobar, we're saying everyone who just is growing even one plant is yep. now, you know, that's, that's, that's a federal offense, you know, or something like that. That's crazy. That's, uh, we've talked about it a little bit on this show, but that, that was where, that's probably like between that and like systemic racism in this country, like those are probably the two fastest paths to me really becoming like a, a, an active like dissident for the government. Because when you lose, when you decide that something is a drug and therefore has to be targeted and killed, you, you literally, all of the things that we consider drugs right now all have roots in, in historical cultures of medicine. And the minute that you criminalize that and then you say it has to be completely wiped off the books or anything, Daniel, you hit it right in the head. Like, not only are you losing the ability to have a non-prescription drug fix, you're also losing centuries of knowledge, if not millennia of knowledge. You know, I, I love psilocybin and I'm an advocate for, for mushrooms, but if you look up the history of what introducing mushrooms into like the U.S. culture did mm-hmm. to the the tribes in in Mexico of indigenous folk who've been using it forever. I mean, it literally wreaks nothing but but 
heartache. And then it, it then reflexively got targeted by the government as yet another thing. Like they lumped in spiritual psilocybin with co the cocaine trade. Yeah. And we do it over and over and over again. And to me, every single time we do that and we target it, it's just burning the fucking library of Alexandria all over again. You're eliminating massive bases of knowledge because you don't want to have to learn about a thing. Yeah. And then, you know, what's interesting is, is, you know, it becomes commodified yeah. and decontextualized, mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot of big words, but it's like, you know, like I feel like the people who built up that culture, um, don't get to, to wreak or reap the, uh, the rewards, if you will, hundred percent, you know, we see that with uh, marijuana legalization, right. you know, and, and now probably with the legalization of, of other substances, you know. So, yeah, I think that's, that's I think, something that I think I wish we took more time to be more nuanced about. Mm -hmm. It's tough. Like, I think that there are definite negative side effects to everything. You know, like, the same can be said about sugar, processed sugar. Fuck Why is there so right. much sugar in everything? Yep. You know? But, yeah, we don't talk about that. Oh, absolutely. Question. If you uh, if you're listening to this right now and marijuana is legal where you live, uh, the easiest path that I have found to get people into it, um, as literally as a flavoring agent and as as an herb to be used in food, is either mix it in with or substitute out cilantro. If you're gonna do like like al pastor or tinga tacos, corn tortilla protein onions and and minced <clears throat> marijuana leaves it's spectacular and it gives a slightly different especially if you fall in that camp interesting of yeah. people yeah. who genetically um feel like cilantro tastes like soap yeah go with marijuana leaves it's fantastic it stands up to the onion it adds a grassy green side to combat like how unctuous the meat is yeah. it's it's awesome it's fucking great and again in such a little dose like that you you at best would maybe just feel like the food tasted a little bit better totally you're not going to be stoned you're not going to be out of control you're yeah. not going to be messed up that right there is a great place to start if you want to start introducing that in to, yeah to cuisines and i think another great example is using like the terpene extract yeah oh fuck oh I that's crazy that you know? i just put that stuff in, in soda water yeah it's amazing and, it, and i think it debunks a lot of myths around you know marijuana smells like skunk yeah but the terpenes are Oof. incredible yeah a lot of new terpene preservation techniques in in beer and with mm -hmm. with weed as well also, yeah. I want to say thoughts and prayers if you don't enjoy cilantro and you think it tastes like soap. It's tough. <laughs> I, like, dude, I look at those people the same way I do with people that are like legit, like lactose Hold on, intolerant. is this probably like twenty percent of our listeners? I know. We still love you. No, I'm not. Still I'm, love I'm you. saying I have, I have like empathy for you, man. Yeah, that's like, no, that's yeah. fucking brutal. Wait, what was the other example? I'm, well, so uh, well, like the, the the oh, like lactose intolerant. Yeah, lactose intolerant. I just read my friend Leah, who's celiac, like. She all she wants to do is eat pasta and bread, and I she just, can't eat pasta and bread. I just read the FDA is about to approve a drug that can cure uh, allergies to eggs, yep. lactose, what? and one other th nuts. That's insane. But nuts, eggs, and dairy. But that would be fucking miraculous yeah. to all of to all of our America to all of our non-American listeners. America, <laughs> the, the U.S. advertises yeah. drugs. 
the average, like half of the ads during TV shows are for prescription drugs. Yeah. With long and, names. And it's always people that are like out in like bright colored clothing, <laughs> frolicking, perhaps taking a bath side by side by their oh, lover yeah. Yeah. in a grassy hill situation. But then at the very end, like it's always warm tones and talking about how beautiful this is. But then at the end, <laughs> they do the speed read of all the things that that, that will kill wrong. you yeah. with this drug. And all I can picture is, we, we've talked about it before. We have. There is it's a, been a while. There's a, I got to bring it up again. Uh, there is dude, a, this is like a hundred episodes. <laughs> there, is, there is a diabetes drug, which is doing a lot of great for a lot of people because we live in a hellscape where the rich run the world and the wicked are never punished and our healthcare is awful here. There is a, a fucking medicine that helps people with diabetes get it under control so they don't have to work, they don't have yes. to rely on insulin. But literally... One of the possibilities is that your taint, your perineum, your taint will become infected and it could be fatal. Oh my God. And the first time I heard that commercial. Whoa, Fatal Perineum is my favorite sci-fi movie. Fatal Perineum is a, <laughs> perineum is a fucking sweet metal band. I know, Dolph exactly. Lundgren that was actually what it. I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. No, it's a sci-fi movie with Dolph Lundgren. No. It's on a space station. Fatal Perineum opened for Mastodon on the Crack the Sky tour. I saw him play at Fine Line. They were amazing. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, yeah. hair metal. <laughs> but the first time I heard that commercial, I was at my in-laws place, and they don't have, like, DVR. It was just, I caught it in the wild on cable. And I was like, wait, What? And I, I'm not lying to you guys. I sat for two hours after everybody went to bed. Just waiting. Watching until I found it again. Oh, my God. Because I had to make sure I heard it right. 100%. Some users of this drug, like the announcer voice right. comes in, like, and it's always like super quiet, like they're whispering it to you because right, they don't right, want right. to interrupt everybody's <laughs> frolicking. Yeah. But it's some users may experience red or sore perineum. If this happens, please go seek immediate uh, attention from a doctor or a hospital oh as God. this could lead to a fatal infection. That's insane. My guy, great that you don't have to use insulin, but the trade-off is your taint might kill you. <laughs> Hold on. You just have to sun it. You just have to sun it. Like, you just have to sun yep. it. I mean, again, and that goes back to my favorite Nirvana cover band, Bleach Taint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right the, so <laughs> what a great song from bleach taint to back to <laughs> charles's answer uh, uh probably no surprise <laughs> bleach taints infected perineums yeah, infected. and sancho pepper <laughs> Sancho. <laughs> i mean that's the three amigos in my world yeah no it's it's hard to disassociate those three things but i'm gonna try <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so Sancho pepper is commonly used at yakitori restaurants and it is a delightful slightly sweet peppery uh it's got the buzz button quality they get from szechuan pepper but not as pronounced and it's a bit citrusy there's like a little element of citrus that is that is present as well I'm gonna hold and it. i fucking adore that stuff it was when I made uh, a spice blend for my own yakitori a couple of years ago, um, I I had a difficulty sourcing it in small quantities because it's so expensive when you buy just a little bit. Uh, for my my the togarashi that I make, I needed some of that, and I ended up getting this giant fucking bag because it and it, it was maybe eight dollars a pound to get a five pound bag. Whereas getting a 
one point five ounce bag was like twenty five dollars. Right. So like, come yeah, on, well, man. So I ended up bargains. I ended up with a lot of it, but I I love what it does in um, my shichimi togarashi. It's beautiful to have as its own condiment, as is commonly found in yakitori restaurants. Guam, when we went to yakitori kono, mm-hmm. as you recall, it was one of the two things. In the sexiest yeah, cool pepper little, mills that I've ever yeah, seen in my cool life. Little boxes that also kind of look like drugs. <laughs> the way that they hundred percent. It looks like it's. It looks like you're Daniel, supposed to take yeah. a bump of do it. Do you ever? <laughs> yeah. Do you do you ever see something that is like <laughs> like it's awesome, but at the same time, your brain is like, also, I would only use that for drugs. Totally. Yeah, seems like illicit. totally. It seems illicit. If if there was a way for me to like create, all I could picture was like like a. a Japanese like shogun slash samurai show or uh, uh yeah samurai show yeah. where uh <laughs> where they were just fucking cokeheads inside and that's <laughs> what it would come out of you know yeah, like right. everything about that contraption was that but it was also the <laughs> most perfect like spice little grinder yeah it it was amazing <laughs> all those spice grinders all you had to go like this this rabbit hole because you and I went down this rabbit hole once. Is you go on Alibaba? Oh my god! And you just Google <laughs> spice grinder, and, and then the sales reps that go and respond to you, yep, and their responses go even darker. <laughs> oh, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is allegedly, the, yep. yeah, alleged yeah, spice alleged. grinder, <laughs> like all of the all of the beautiful like pomp and circumstance, and for sure, you know, if it's like on HBO, there has to be somebody just like hand painting Japanese characters, and then just some dudes that are just like just coked out and sweating, <laughs> just hitting this. But they were they were beautiful, and yeah. at the same time, I'm like, I I don't want anything else here. But when I look at those, all I see is drugs. So yeah. sorry for it's like, like a it's like a Japanese bar derivative of the German snuff, you know, like the little bump you get at a German bar where they fire that stuff up into your nose yeah i would do that with sancho pepper but yeah it's it's a really beautiful like it's it's a green version of a similar genus to the szechuan peppercorn it is absolutely delightful i think that it is it's clearly more versatile than how it is typically used you don't see it in a lot of spice blends you don't see it seasoning a lot of dishes I have an ungodly sum of it. I want to experiment with it more, but what I've found is that I myself have to figure out how to use it yeah. because there are no there are no clear directives other than, you know, for instance, the shishimi togarashi that I make yeah. is predicated on uh, an existing recipe that I modified and I use uh, black lime instead of uh, yuzu peel in mine, but it's a very similar recipe to a famous, famous restaurant. Um, I would, I, I would like to see that used more and given more respect. And for people, just try it, just try a little bit, totally. dip your chicken in it. Mm-hmm. I would, I would posit that any dish that you could use bell peppers in, you can use, it would greatly benefit from the addition of Sancho mm-hmm. chili peppers. Sure. Because yeah. it's, it's got so much crossover. It's just a tad bit spicier. I mean, bell peppers don't really have any spice. Mm-hmm. But it's got so much more depth of flavor. I think that's the fatal flaw is that people that eat a lot of bell peppers don't want anything that's going to like yep. challenge their nostrils or make their yeah. tongue feel something funny. But I, I absolutely see the the corollary yeah. nature of the flavor characteristics. Yeah. And then it would be, hey, how about this? If you don't like bell peppers because they're too boring, 
Yeah. Do some Sancho instead. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds so much more badass as a name. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so sounds, that's yeah. what I, that's it what sounds I like to... an old like Japanese gunslinger. Well, yeah, or, okay. a hand or something. <laughs> so we had this conversation when we were at that yakitori grill, and yeah, there there are moments where my brain spins off sideways, and I want to like talk about it, but then I'm like, there's no time for this, and like whatever. But now that we've said it over and over again, every single time, and especially when we were sitting there, and then you got to talking about like making yakitori spice, and that was when we got into the discussion about black lime, which also. I learned about literally from you, Charles. But all I think of every time there is the guys that created South Park made a few movies as well. And there is a movie called Orgasmo that's one of my favorite comedies of all yeah, time. Very old school. <clears throat> Was and it 96? Maybe even earlier. It might have been like 95. Okay. But there, there is a scene with a porn star who is coming in for to, to act, should we say? <laughs> <laughs> and his name is... Sancho and somebody oh, asked yeah? somebody yeah somebody asked like why are, why why do you get to go and they're like what's special about you and his response it's still what I say it all the time and every time I see this pepper I like whisper it to myself <laughs> but his response is there are many Jeffs in the world and many Toms as well but I am Sancho and the guy's like so and his response is are you Sancho <laughs> no you are not Neither is Scott Bayo, Sancho, <laughs> Frank Gifford. No, I am Sancho. <laughs> Only I am Sancho. That's all I think of every time. Really? Every time I see Sancho Pepper, I'm like, there are many Jeffs in the world. And also many Toms. You know what it makes me think of? But only one Sancho. <laughs> you know what it makes me think of? What's that? Santeria. Yeah, exactly. Like the Sublime, Sublime song? song? Yes, that's exactly... That's why I said it, it sounds oh, like yeah, a ska band. Oh, yeah, you're right. It sounds like a ska yep. band. I'd pop a cap and Sancho. Sancho and yeah. <laughs> Is it... Okay, contentious moment here. Yeah. Is it slap her down after that? What is the lyric after that? I Okay, it is It is obviously a contentious Cause, topic. That's what I think the official lyric is is supposed to be so at one point a band i was in covered that song yeah and we always sang and i'd slap her bare ass and that seems a lot more fun let me yeah let me check uh let me check genius because genius has it also has explanations of lyrics, yeah. which is really cool i'd pop a cap at sancho yeah, and i'd a, slap her bare ass that and, seems like hey it's, it's a, we did it slap her down right and then it, like it's funny because they do explanations like they annotate explanations. He feels too angry to think that he would kill the guy that his lover is with, and he will slap her also. <laughs> Was that written by an NPC? I don't know. Yeah, I, it does sound that, like... That feels like feels bot too, language. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it sounds JetPG-ish for sure. He feels too angry to think that he would kill the guy that his lover is with, and he will slap her also. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> what? Uh, that that lyric will it will forever live because I you know like hey psh, like who doesn't love a little, little booty spanking I, I After, guess contextually I'm know, confused by the whole thing I, yeah I, I, I don't know. anyway side, side digression way. I did I did not I did not on my on my on my bingo card for tonight I did not have us getting into ly lyrical analyzation of Sublime or but I'm down for it or appearances of the name Sancho <laughs> historically uh, but are you Sancho no. Only I am Sancho. <laughs> okay, hold on. Let's see. When when did when did Orgasmo come? Because it was around then, right? Orgasmo. Yeah. Orga 
I, I, I thought in 96. Let's see. Oh, 97. Okay. It was in that time, but it was. Was it 97? Yeah. Oh, really. shit. All right. I knew it was around when I went to high school. You know what? They might have, they might have made it in like 95 because I remember they shopped it around for a long time before it got a release. But yeah, I don't know. Crazy. No idea. No idea. Okay. Yeah. Also, if you, I mean, the, there are problematic moments in it, but if you want to go back and see one of the greatest R-rated comedies of the 90s, I will hard push for orgasm. <laughs> you, had to like, you had to like their humor to like that yeah. movie because it was pretty subversive. All right, what are we drinking next? <laughs> what are we drinking next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that was intentional. My hard push was intentional, Katie Dimmick. <laughs> Are we on the? Oh, we're on the, the spice Rizelle. Yes, which is oh. like a. Uh, it's a, like a light tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't complained about it. We can pass it around. <laughs> yeah, we can pass it around. Pass the ball. All right. Yeah. So uh, talk a little bit about yeah, this it's one. Yeah, it's yes, a flavored please. gin that drinks like a light tomorrow. It's uh, made with rose myrtle berries, which is a uh, a relative of the guava plant. It's like it looks like if guavas and blueberries had babies. And uh, they've got the guava from the bottom down and blueberry from the top up kind of thing. That's what they on. say about me. <laughs> hi <Hi-yo. laughs> hey, hey, hey. it's a uh, it's a it's a flavored gin that drinks like a light tomorrow. We macerate with the skin on for a year to get the tannins along with the sweetness. And that gives you kind of like a mouth puckering uh, sensation um, with a bunch of spice. A lot of um, star anise type spices, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, black cardamom. And so it's like uh, definitely got an Amaro thing going on. A little bit of Christmas and a little bit of, mm. of slow gin. God, it's so fucking good. I, I just, I, I love the fact that we have access to something like this because I love stretching the people in my world's palates. And this is close enough to a number of things that they would consider familiar. Yeah. But it's so different at the same time that I like my favorite thing to do is pour it out and then just sit back and watch and wait for somebody to take a sip. And the first thing they do is they open their eyes super wide. They go, oh, wow, wow, wow. That's okay. All right. And like you watch them process it. Yeah. That's such a beautiful thing that, that people can go through, you know? Totally, and I think, um, so what's interesting is this this particular gin, or flavored gin, we took a lot of inspiration from how Vietnamese approach making fruit liqueurs. And I think when you, lick, when you hear the word liqueur, you think of one-dimensionally sweet, oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But in Vietnamese flavor philosophy, there's a lot of counterbalancing that happens. And you can look at it in, in how it manifests in Vietnamese food, you know. Something like a baing mi has to have pickles in it and fresh herbs to counterbalance pate. Um, so this is sweetness from fruit is counterbalanced by a lot of bitter astringency from tannins of the fruit and yep. spice, um, mm. which are in some ways tannic as well. And so when you're drinking this, you go through these waves of sweet, dry, and then just like this this long finish as an after effect. Um, yeah, and I think that's something that's 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 markedly different from, say, like, um, say like more sweet Western style wines where it's sure. sweet, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a different approach to yep. two flavors. 
Totally agree. Hey, cheers. Cheers. Great. And I just want to say it macerates with the skin or it gets the hose again. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. That almost went up my nose. <laughs> oh, man. You're an asshole. <laughs> the, the worst. <laughs> I don't even want to say this out loud. The, wor- the, the worst Uh-oh. part was. I don't know if anybody else out there listening has this. My brain loves to be like, oh, let's make it worse. <laughs> and all I got was you doing the buffalo yeah. dance. Were you lowering the basket? <laughs> Were you the one Apparently, lowering, lowering this bottle? Or the maybe basket? I was the puppy in it. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but yeah, that was, oh God, that was great. All right. So That's to get, a beautiful image to, for all To, our to cleanse my mental palate here. <laughs> uh, all right. So everyone in this room, we all travel a lot. And um, I recently had a, a friend reach out, and I thought it was a really sweet question. Um, they do not travel very often and are incredibly concerned about a lot of things that I never think about when I travel. Whoa. And so what I wanted to throw out was, imagine somebody reaches out to you that you care about, but that doesn't travel very often and, and is going on a big trip. What is a bit of advice, a hack, a tip, a thing that you do that you would suggest to somebody to make their travel easier? That's a really good question. I what The thing I always think about is I think that human beings can only be a certain dimension or degree of discomfort mm-hmm. before the experience becomes harrowing. And for me, yep. it's whether I think it's usually sleep you know, being uh, it's that that affects how tired you are and your your dopamine versus serotonin levels, mm-hmm. um, hunger, um, and then just overall comfort, like how clean you are. Um, and so, what the, the thing that I always tell people is there's there's a couple of things, and it, 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 it personalizes it for every person. Is are you a person that often gets hangry? If you are, you need to pack a lot of your own food. Um, so that if you can't eat something, you are able to put down your hangriness. Sure. Or two is like if you're a person that needs a good, clean hotel room to 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 sleep at night, that's the thing that you splurge on. Mm-hmm. There's one there's there's one thing that you have to have that you splurge on, whether it be food, a place to sleep, or just something. It has to be one thing. It's it's like it's like you know in the in in Inception, it's okay. like your little yeah. spinny your top yeah like your top the, yep because human beings if you if you subject to them to all degrees of discomfort everything just goes to shit i i think i could push any human being to withstand a degree of discomfort if they had their one comfort yeah to to fall back on that's a fascinating way to look at it but i agree with you wholeheartedly yeah and that's in in that way it's not like a blanket like like one size fits all it's really you have to have your own come to jesus moment like am i gonna go for the do i want to eat well and i can forego my lodging or do I need to be in a very, very, you know, well, you know, five-star whatever resort with, like, the best, you know, Tempur-Pedic mattress? And I think the third thing was temperature. Mm. Is sure. um, This is especially true, I think, when you're really outdoorsy, you know. Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort for cold, being cold, mm-hmm. or being super hot? Because um, we live in Vietnam, and I think that... People don't understand sometimes <laughs> how intense 
I do. I do like the fact. That I, I've never thought about this until right now. I do like the fact that the place that you chose to live when you were in the U.S. is the only place that can kind of come close exactly. to mimicking the humidity and the temperature. Yeah. Really, that in that region. Yes. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like it's it's literally like it's Vietnam. It's Vietnam on training wheels to a certain extent. We were actually. I was talking to Katie about this earlier. Whether it be the traffic, the, the public, Everglades, you know, maybe. the public infrastructure, you know, politicians going to jail for embezzlement. Yep. You know? Yep. <laughs> it's all of it. It's all it's right all there. The mosquitoes, yep. the risk of dengue fever, and breeding yeah. oh <laughs> amoebas everywhere. Yeah. Yep. But I always tell people there's the other added element is weather. You need to research. If you're going to a place that's hot and humid yeah. and you know you can yeah. only take so much crap from, from the sun and humidity, you need to go book a nice hotel that has functioning air conditioning and, and a really nice shower. Because 100%. Subject yourself to humidity all you want, however long you can take it, but you need to have a fallback. Yep. Otherwise, I've seen people crack. That's the thing that gets me. Yeah. I cannot sleep for two days. I don't care if it's fucking freezing cold. I don't care if it's dry heat, and I cannot eat for several days. Humidity turns me into the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, so that's that's the thing. It's like either avoid going to places that are humid or... Right. Or if you want to subject yourself to like neuroplasticity and all that kind of stuff, you just go to a place but have a really nice hotel to fall back mm-hmm. on. Sure. You know, give yourself that reward, that ice cold beer, that whatever, that, yeah. uh, you know, caffeine pouch, whatever. Expectations are important too. Yes. If you're like, it's going to be really humid and yeah. you know that, it's when you don't because, expect yeah. it that yeah. you're yeah. even more angry. Totally. It's miserable. You know what's actually funny is for us, it's the reverse situation right now. So we're coming from Vietnam. And last time we were in Minnesota, everyone was telling us, when you come back here next in February, there's going to be 10 feet of snow. It's <laughs> yeah. going to be like right. negative 50 degrees. Right. And you're it's just going to Positive die. 50 degrees. Yeah. And right we now. came here. We literally <laughs> bought body warmers. We <laughs> oh, bought like yeah. face masks. We have like three ski jackets each. No. Nope. You know? And yeah, we like, come here. Fuck? I know. <laughs> I, I was so disappointed. Yeah. I was ready to do like snow angels and like, <laughs> uh, like shovel my way shit. into like a truck. Yeah. Uh, so over prepared, but that's better than being underprepared. hundred <laughs> percent. Better to have it, not need it, than need it, not have it. That's, totally. Because the, the first time that Nguyen went to the United States, and um, and this was like two years ago and we were in New York, not even two years ago, but it was, it was in the same season of February. We were in New York. It wasn't snowing. However, you know how tunnel like wind tunnels get, right? It can really drive the temperature down. And we had just gotten bagels and we were walking to an account. Um, I don't remember what restaurant it was, but we were caught in a wind tunnel and it was so cold and it goes right through all your wind barriers and she just curled up in a fetal position. Yeah. You know, like that nope. is something Oof. that we do not experience yeah. in Southeast Asia, you know? And so that was when I knew it was like, Hey, one of our non-negotiables is we cannot be uncomfortable in the face of temperature. Like we need to make sure either super bundled up or we don't go outside, you know? I, yeah, hundred percent. That is that is a one hundred percent recommendation I give to everybody that's coming here. Figure it out. Gotta do it. Uh, Gotta do it. You know, Charles, you and I traveled a bunch in twenty twenty three together, and uh, I kind of wanted to throw this out there. It was it was really fun. I, you are an absolute pro when it comes to traveling. 
And so it was really fun, like literally not having to ask any questions or worry about anything. But I realized that we didn't ever really have a huge conversation about like how we travel. So I thought this was an interesting we, thing. Like, what would you suggest to other people? We've had bits and pieces, and that's actually yeah. the direction I'm going to take this because the first trip we went on together where we, uh, we were on the same flight, you were caught a little unawares, but it's not because you didn't know this. Obviously, this answer is in front of everyone's face, but they don't think about it. But for me, I load a lot of uh, multimedia content on my iPad. And that's for... Multiple reasons. The most important reason is that on the plane itself, I cannot sleep. I can't. I can get into, if I've been traveling for 21 hours, I can get into that perpetual nodding off state, but not actually ever fall asleep. And that's the fucking worst. So usually I, I just prep myself to be entertained. And the problem is that when you're, when you get to be drowsy, and I also have this dynamic of being kind of lulled by the plane engine, like a, Maybe yep. in the yep. back of a car. I would love to read a book on a plane, but I can only do that for the first couple hours. And then Same. I start to get a little drowsy. Mm -hmm. So I load lots of content on my iPad because so many of the streaming services now have that download feature. Yeah. And too few people, I think, realize it. And it's not like nobody knows this, but there are a lot of people who don't know. There's like an entire thing you can do where you click the little download button where it'll save shows so for instance i'm going to japan in 26 days i think i i'm gonna preserve some things that i already know i would like to watch now whether or not i would get to them and i'm gonna download those so that on a 13 and a half hour flight there the one way from minneapolis to tokyo i'll have a lot of stuff to occupy me so i'd say that's important but also give yourself options so have the book have uh, some distractible items like pot, like download podcasts, download shows, download movies, even movies you already seen. Sometimes it's option paralysis, and you just want to like get comfortable so you can watch forty year old version or whatever that I've seen fucking five hundred times. But sometimes you're like, everything seems like a bad idea. I'm kind of tired, but kind of awake, and we have five more hours. What can I do to make the next two hours vanish? Plus, the added benefit, which is the other small piece of the equation, is that when you're at wherever you arrive, if you don't have a VPN, you have a little something where if it's late at night and you just want to, you know, you don't want to flip on the television and watch local news in whatever country or state you're in, you can pull something up that you can lay in bed with if you're the kind of person like me who especially if i'm out eating rich food and drinking a lot i gotta sit up for a while so that i don't wake up in the middle of the night feeling like shit and that's what i kind of like to do is i'll have like a true crime show queued up on my ipad watch a few episodes of that and then fall asleep it's nice to have that resource when you don't really have the option unless you download it legally to find that thing that you would like to, you know, bring you comfort like a like a show about a guy murdering a bunch of people. <clears throat> I will also just throw out to jump off of what Charles just said. If you have the financial means, they're not expensive. Just download a, some VPN software. Just do that. For sure. Yeah. It'll help you when you're traveling. But also, if you're just out in public and you're fucking on an open Wi-Fi, if you're doing work, like, just have a VPN. Please. I know the idea is confounding to people. Yeah. But yeah, sure, look it up. It's, yeah. not, it's not as complicated as it sounds. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. 
my my version, I love what you guys both answered because it was looking at it from from a different angle. Mm. Um, I was trying to be a little bit more sort of like 30,000 foot about it. And the thing that I've probably recommended the most to people. You making travel jokes? Yes. <laughs> uh, from 30,000 feet. Uh, if, if you're not constrained, and I always ask this first before I posit this advice. I ask like, is this trip like you saved up and this is all you got? Or like, are you going there with funds with which to like have fun? Almost every time, like the older I've gotten, the less I've had anybody respond like, oh, no, this is it. Because if, if that's it, then just like go do your thing. Yeah. If you have some extra funds to spend, <clears throat> remind yourself that this is an experience that you may never have again. And do the extra thing. Go to, go to the extra place. Order the extra glass of wine. Uh, you know, whatever. Buy the thing that maybe you weren't sure if you wanted to deal with bringing back. Like, there are so many times that I will, I will budget myself out of a good idea. Yeah. Because, like, you know, somehow I'm like, well, this is two bucks cheaper, so I'll just go with that one, and it's, like, lesser quality. D don't do that. First yeah. of all, statistically, it's proven that that will be also a lesser product. <clears throat> and don't get me wrong, there can be great deals, and it's not about money. But really, the biggest thing is you never know what you're going to find when you get there. You can fucking planogram out as much as you want. You can laminate it and put it in a binder so it feels like it's, you know, this is the Bible. But really, at the end of the day, you're going to be presented wherever you go with some things that you weren't planning on. Yep. Leave yourself open to that. Not alone, or not just the whimsy of like, fuck it, let's, let's try that. Like, here's something we didn't know about. But also, it might be a little bit more expensive, but I swear every single one of those things, in quotes, on all of my trips usually end up being the things that I still talk about with friends. Totally. And it's not, it's not necessarily even just a money thing. It's like just if an idea presents itself or an opportunity presents itself, just be open to taking that. Yeah, and I think something to add to that was, um, so recently we started partnering with a... Uh, a company called Roads and Kingdoms, and that that was a company that uh, Anthony Bourdain had um, had invested into and started up before he passed. Mm. Um, and it was to create a league of travelers to travel, like he did. Mm -hmm. And um, so we came, we became their Vietnam country partner. So we host people who come to Vietnam to travel like that and have these experiences. And when we were setting up to 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 uh, receive guests um you know the the, the people who are involved in the day-to-day -to, -day to in roads and kingdoms had a lot of advice that they also learned from traveling with tony um and i think one of the things that really stuck with me is they always talked about highs and lows mm -hmm. traveling is highs and lows it's inevitable mm -hmm. um and you have to set realistic expectations um and what you're saying really really resonates with me because they said you know sometimes tony would just splurge on something he said fuck it like this is not something i would usually do or this is not something i would usually spend money on but let's do it mm -hmm. because there will be inevitably a low and you need to balance out your feelings that's it and if you are always trying to constrain yourself you will just have medium medium low medium yep. medium low you're not giving yourself a high and i think that really changed my perspective a lot on how to talk to travelers and how to travel myself 
You know, it's like sometimes, is it really worth getting stressed out about something that's a differential of like $5? Mm-hmm. No. Um, because you will have a low later. And you because you set yourself up yeah. for it, that and, low doesn't and, feel so bad. And think about how frivolously I'll throw that $5 around five hours later. You know? Yeah. We like, struggle with context when it comes to money. Absolutely. We 100% totally. do. And don't get me wrong. Totally. like I, When there's two prices next to each other, of course, I'm always like, well, the cheaper one. Like, that, that works. But really, at the end of the day, I, I have to say that out loud. Like, if it's $3 difference, like, what am I going to do with that $3? Like, yeah. I, I, the, sure, I'm, sure. I'm not, that's not going to be the difference between me paying, you know, rent or a mortgage or my yeah, car payment or exactly. not. So, so the, like, do the thing. Yeah, and this is not your state of perpetuity. Correct. You know? Oh, yeah. And right. But you do Temporary need to, to really brace yourself for the lows because we've seen travelers who do not, cannot get themselves out of a low and their entire trip just crash and Let's talk about the human brain because it is interesting that these, these yeah. points have come up regarding this. So the way that the human brain works is that the dopamine release when you plan a vacation yeah. is the most dopamine you will receive from the vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Going on the vacation will not give you as much. You will, you will not have the dopamine response in your brain that you get from the fact that Book you it. got excited about having the vacation mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. So trying to, you, you, you're not going to hit it, okay? You're not going to get back up to that level of dopamine. But when you entice yourself with new pocket experiences and side quests on your vacation, you will provide yourself with a little bit of a dopamine boost. Yes. A lot of people have uh, regret about going on a vacation simply due to the fact that they go through the motions, perhaps. like, And I don't have a problem with all-inclusives. I have friends who do it. But I think some people go and do those things, and then before they know it, the time has passed because there's a lot of repetition and they end up departing and saying, like, I mean, that was fine, but we spent a lot of money and yeah. probably won't do that again. But leaving yourself open to any sort of a dynamic experience yes. will have your brain tricking you, because that's what dopamine is. It's your brain tricking you into thinking you had the best time of your life. And it's actually formative to having an experience that is worthwhile. Yeah, and I think it's it's dopamine is often miscategorized. I think it's it's the it's the it's the sensation of of striving for something. It's not necessarily being high. I think it's it's it shows us that actually oftentimes the journey is the high and we have to kind of manage our expectations and I think yeah, I think I think I know what you're talking about because I feel like I've been listening to like. Uh, well, there's actual studies that show the areas of your brain that are activated when right? you get excited about doing something versus actually doing that thing, which is why if you want to if you want to control your diet, the excitement of getting the donut is the goal. It's not consuming the donut. Exactly, and it's it's, does, actually, it's over at that point. It's interesting because <laughs> there's there's an effect called the Coolidge effect, and yeah. this is on a, on a on another podcast I was listening to, oh. and they they were talking about how you know infidelity and polyamory and whatnot, and how um, you know when you achieve or you when you get a mate, for example, yeah. okay. the, right when you get the mate. And, you know, post-orgasm depression or whatnot, your dopamine levels crash. Mm-hmm. 
And it only it's rebounds. an interesting way to say post not clarity, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally trying to get back to my microphone in time to say, wow, that's a very deep way to say post not clarity. <laughs> but yeah. but the Coolidge, so this is actually named apparently after President Coolidge. Okay. Um, oh, really? Yeah. But but the, 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 the idea of the, the quick rebound or increase of dopamine thereafter is often with the introduction of a new mate. Sure. Yes. And that's actually really interesting because it tells you that the, the, the human body or the human mind is looking for something that is continually, you know, challenging and striving or the, the journey is, is really 90% of it. Yeah. Ooh, a piece of candy. Mm-hmm. It's literally yeah. like the acquisition of the shiny thing <laughs> is what gives us joy. It's not the thing itself. Even though there are there are various other responses that are not related to dopamine that we still derive joy from, like seeking out for me, like seeking out great food, yeah. the adventure supplies me with a great amount of dopamine. It doesn't mean that when I'm sitting there, I don't still derive enjoyment from experiencing the five senses of the experience itself. That still is providing me with something, but admittedly, knowing biologically, the dopamine response is not the same. And it would be yeah. weird if you think about it, if you frame it in that way and you think about it, like literally that's biological, you would understand how weird it would be if you were just like that exhilarated sitting there eating a piece of fish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ah, I love uh, fucking fish. Eric Repair walks on the dining room and <laughs> wild eyed looking at him like. <laughs> just fucking feral. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an advertisement for cocaine. <laughs> you know, the funny part, though, is actually thinking Freeze about frame. it. I know. <laughs> uh, the funny part, though, is I wonder if that's part of my, like we've talked about a lot on this show, if that's part of my desire to, like, find the story and find the connection within. Sure. Because when I get that, like, oh, I just, I met this person when I walked into this restaurant and now I'm leaving and it's like a long hug or we had like a hearty belly laugh, wiping tears away. Yeah. That's, that's, that's me completing the dopamine button at the place. And sure, I, I kind of sure. wonder if maybe that's, that's part of it. Or it's adrenaline. Like, yeah. Or like, ah, we hit it before we left, or, but let's hit yeah. it before we go again. And the other side of the coin, even based on what you said, is that, you know, earlier you're talking about understanding how to slow down and, and wanting to do that more and then yeah. you've had satisfying moments of it. That's you being a mature and developed human being and saying, I don't need to pop that dopamine button over and over. I can actually yeah. just kind of relax true. and let the like cortisol seep out of my body <laughs> for a little while. Totally. Yeah. Managing expectations. <laughs> yeah, right. Girl. Well, Talk about managing expectations. How about managing my excitement? Because we're <laughs> oh, about to hit this shit. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about this tomorrow before oh, sure. I ask the last question? Yeah, this is in Amaro Bitters that we do, and it's just been released relatively recently um, in the U.S. market. It's called Mai. Um It's a Vietnamese Amaro Bitters made in partnership with a Red Zhao uh, medicine woman whose name is Lila Mai. And the Red Zhao are a community who are renowned for medicinal botany and, and research both in China, Laos, and, and Vietnam have shown, documented this prowess. And they've been making tinctures for pretty much thousands of years now. I think the first written record of it goes back to 2700 BC. But anyways, this is a, a translation of 
um, an heirloom recipe that that Lila Mai had. So she's wow. actually the half owner of this this product with us. That's amazing. Yeah, and what's cool is it's a it's a regenerative or it's a, it's a transformative product because the entire recipe has more ingredients than what are in this. And we determined with her that certain ingredients that she wanted to use do not exist anymore oh. in the quantity that should be in nature for us to harvest sustainably. And so we've left them out. However, what we've decided is with the profits um, of the sale so far of the bottle, we've invested into these seed gardens or seed farms to regenerate these these um, low stocks of, of botanicals. Oh, to, that's incredible. Yeah, and restore the forest. And the idea is hopefully in, say, five years' time, this recipe will change to be more oh. of what her original God vision could K. be. You are yeah. fucking amazing, man. I Like, this is this is everything that we talk about wanting to see in the world. Yeah. And you're just doing it. I think it's like, it's it's an idea that things are not meant to be static, but very dynamic. Yeah. And, um, and I think it, it, for us, was really pushing... Lila made is like we should aim high and the journey is really the journey that we're invested in with each other. It's not, hey, let's pump out a product and done, cross that off and let's let's move on to the next. But it's more of we want to actualize something that no longer can exist sustainably and how can we get there in the future? Um, so this is again in in the style of the Red Zao. So all the botanicals are super dried because anything fresh is considered too hot in terms of like hot, cold um, philosophy in Eastern medicine to be turned into medicine. And so the nose that you get is going to be very reminiscent of root beer, of sarsaparilla, of like hickory barbecue, of lopsong smoky tea, of cedar plank wood and oh, yeah. nutty poppiness. Um, same thing on the palate. It's yeah, hickory. I get a lot of hickory. A lot of hickory. It's savory. It's tannic. Um, definitely a lot of like woodsy notes, like definitely root beer, but not so sweet. And sure. um, different types of bitterness because bitterness uh, overlaps with the same sensation uh, as sweet. Yeah. So there's a sweet bitterness that comes from dried um, bitter melon uh, vines. Um, the use of like, Poppy, for example, will give you a bitter nuttiness, for example. So there, there are dimensions of bitterness in this that I think are quite complex. Um, and it's a... There's uh, definitely some nuttiness. Also, like, the deeper impact of the bitterness takes time to yeah. impact your palate, and uh, it, it, it fades away just as quickly. Yes. And then you take another sip, and it fades in very slowly, I and could it not, fades away. I could not put my thumb on cedar and you just nailed it hmm. yeah if for me it's fresh like, cedar. Yeah. like fresh plank cedar yeah like that that i've been trying to figure out there's a middle note in there and i could not it's something very familiar to me but i couldn't nail it and that's absolutely what it is yeah like, oh yeah like, like it's very impactful like right that, like and then once you once it's like once you see it now that's that's exactly what you see exactly. you think of being in like at the cedars in Lebanon and the way it smells. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like it's, there's a, there's a lot of overlap, I think with people who may enjoy like a rye whiskey or a rye bourbon or very like super oaked tannic bourbon would sure. really enjoy yeah. about this. Um, but it's a such, it's such a departure. I mean, for, for legal purposes, we have to label it as an Amaro bitters, but it's such a departure from Italian bitters yeah. and Amaro's yep. and Amari rather. Um, there's no citrus. There's very limited use of menthol. There's no menthol really in this. And it doesn't really have the caramel notes that you would get in a lot of commercial Amari. Um, but it is bitter. Sure. It does have the sweet components. And it is 
it has herbal components. And I think, uh, yeah, it's something I'm super proud of. And we hope to be able to do more uh, products like this in the future. With, so with do I. People. So too do I. <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I, I adore this. This yeah, is fucking I, fantastic. I could sip on this. Again, like when we were talking earlier about that sort of having an evening of beverages where you're getting like, further and further impacted by the clanginess of sugar. This is the kind of thing that I want at the end of the evening that feels like a panacea. Like it just it literally feels like a healing salve. <laughs> I have too much sugar in my Dude, body. Yeah. Give me something bitter. I take this and I feel like a little kid making ninja sauces out of yeah. my fridge with mustard. But then at the same time, it's this is literally <laughs> has its roots in actual medicine. Absolutely. Yes. You know, like like yeah. that's the point of it. And and I listen my people have their own versions of this and it is not anywhere near as good. And I just, I, it, this fucks me up every time. And it's funny, like since I made that, that Negroni riff that we talked about earlier, I haven't gone back and just drank this by itself. But I think that the key to why it works with everything so well with that black walnut bitters is in here. Like that's, I think this is like the thing that it sneaks in on yeah. with that sweetness. And then it just kind of gloms onto everything else. Yeah. But that said, we still have Uno Mas Question. Cheers. Cheers. So that. cheers to that. Cheers, Katie Dimmick. <laughs> I mean, I think I won the game because she still had to sit on the couch next to me. Uh right. So I love thinking about this. Like this is a thought experiment that I have a lot. There are always tragic consequences when power dynamics are different when two cultures smash. You end up with things like colonialism. You end up with things like war. You end up with, with genocides that are currently going on in the world. But when two cultures come together like as equals, where it's people just trying to figure out each other's worlds, there is magic that happens. And... In, in this country, you know, the entire Southwest portion of our world is what happens when American cuisine and Mexican cuisine comes together. And state by state, they have formed different cuisines. Like there is Tex-Mex and there is New Mexican cuisine. And you can, you can extrapolate everything. You can pull out the different parts and you can assign them to the camps and the sum of both parts put together is infinitely better in some situations than, than either of the origins are. Is there in your, in your world, as you've traveled across the globe, is there a confluence of two cultures coming together to make something that makes you the happiest? Is there an item of, of food or music or art or beverage that is the product of two cultures coming together that, that brings you true like joy whenever you get to experience it. Yeah, I think I think of this a lot when I'm in Vietnam because Vietnam has gone through very much like like America, you know, it's a um it's a country with a very tumultuous uh history. Um I think uh when I think of Vietnam, I think of Vietnam is a country with a long history, but a country with a very short modern history. Mm-hmm. You know, I we've only um, opened our economy since 1995, um, which is very, very recent. Mm-hmm. And 
the amount of change that we've seen or that people have seen, because I, you know, that's not my, my personal lived experience. It's, it's, an, it's extraordinary from, from a subsistence Cold War embargo economy to now one of the fastest growing economies, if not the fastest growing economy in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible. But I think manifested in our cuisine, there are so many things that I would say is not because of two cultures coming together because of war, because they're equals, but it's more of a subversiveness. Mm. Um, it's because there were certain things that were levied by power or force upon yeah. another culture. And I mean, this is, this is seen over and over in history. Um, when, you know, I used to live in Louisiana and we talk about Southern cuisine. That's a really couched language of saying a lot of this is actually because born out of slaves trying to make do with what they had to do um, to survive during slavery. You know, that's a very dark, deep history behind American barbecue, behind the concept of soul food. Um, and we see the same thing in Vietnam when you think about buying me pho. But for me, what makes me the happiest is Vietnamese draft beer. Oh, And I was shit. talking about this actually earlier with, uh, with one of the accounts that we were visiting. is bia hơi. Bia hơi, bia means beer. It's literally the, the Vietnamese pronunciation of the French word beer. Um, hơi is just draft, like fresh. Okay. And what's interesting about this history is... It's really convenient because I have this fresh in my mind is the French, there was a man by the name of Hummel and he brought the first beer recipe to Vietnam in the late 1800s. I think it was 1880. Um, It was made from barley from the south of China, uh, Yunnan province, and hops from France. And he brewed it in, in an area outside of Hanoi, which is now still modern day Hanoi because Hanoi has expanded its jurisdiction. Long story short, he didn't brew this for the Vietnamese people, and the Vietnamese not. people did not take to barley and hops as being too bitter. And actually, what was born out of it is what we call bia hơi today. If you go to anywhere to, in, in Hanoi or in the north of Vietnam, you see men and women. It's, this, is, this is the tapas culture or the happy hour culture of, or the aperitivo culture of Vietnam is in mid-afternoon, just sitting on, on the corner, drinking a literally five to ten cent cup of beer that's made with entirely just rice. Awesome. Just rice. It's not completely fermented. It's three ABV. It's made from rice malt and, and, and other rice adjuncts. It's still fermenting. Plenty of residual sugars. I would argue this is, if for all the natty heads out there, this is pet nat. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. they're drinking it not in, you know, pretentious wine glasses, but they're drinking it in bia glasses are made entirely from recycled glass. These teal glasses made out of wartime. That is, you know, if you look at how natty heads are drinking natural wine nowadays, this mm-hmm. is the natural wine. Not fully fermented. It's a Natty pet ice nat. and pet nat. Yeah, yeah Exactly. Listen up, Paul Hennessy. Come one, come all. <laughs> Sluty-ass motherfucker. But that, that same beer you have at noon is going to taste way more sour by 10 at night, especially during the summertime. I fucking love that. Yeah. I'm here for that. That's exactly. True. And every single place will have a different way of storing it. Some places will put ice cubes on the keg. Some places will actually have a freezer. So people have their own place that they go to. It's all made by the same company now. Um, but the, just the way that you store the keg throughout the day will change your that's your local places. Beer. Awesome, man! I you know? love that so much. Yeah, and that's a that's a beautiful culture. It's it's democratized. 
like something that was forced upon people, beer, mm-hmm. um, made out of barley. They said, no, we're going to actually make it our own way, affordable to the people, and serve it our own way, drink it on plastic stools. I think it's that's something that's really beautiful to me that gets me excited. That's, anytime anyone asks me, what's the one thing I have to eat in Vietnam? I'm always, you have to experience Bihoy. That's that's like going to Spain without going to tapas. That's yeah. like going to France without experiencing aperitivo hour or, or Italy or Turin without aperitivo, you know? Right. Um, but that's the confluence of two cultures, not necessarily on even footing, but it shows the resilience or the underestimated, you know, underdog. Yeah. You know? Fuck yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that, man. You killed it. That's, yeah, what a fantastic answer. Uh, so when Quam originally sent this answer, I was like, well, you can't say that in the answer. That's my <laughs> fucking answer. Because anytime this comes up, the answer has to be that Lebanese people, historically, prior as Phoenicians, were the first seafaring people on Earth. And Lebanese in the late 1800s uh, under... Ottoman rule were leaving because Lebanon was not an independent nation for a very long time after that came then after that came France and Lebanon has been occupied for fucking ever but in the late 1800s a lot of Lebanese people by ship transported to Mexico various parts of Yucatan and um Baja California, like that area. So there was a massive population of Lebanese people. Actually, like the Baja California area, I think right now is like 300,000 Lebanese or Lebanese Mexican people that uh, reside people who have lineage in that region. Right yeah. And when they came, they brought the, you know, they brought their culture and their food. And it was because it was something that they could preserve and carry elsewhere because they couldn't really have that tradition carried on in their own home because they were impacted by various other cultures that were bringing things to them, like the Ottomans and the Turks and Israel and Syria and every other culture that had a a stay in Lebanon and, tried to overtake the country because it's such a beautiful slice of land. And when they moved to, um, when they moved to Mexico, they brought the spits that we have for many years done the vertical roasting of meats on. And uh, by the 19, I believe the 1920s, there became sort of a version of what is now known as El Pastor. At the time, it was lamb, I think, originally, or at least it's reported that it was originally lamb because Lebanese people ate more lamb, not as much pork, but also as those people were of a Maronite Catholic origin, there was no aversion to consuming pork. So eventually, and it's not really clear at which stage it sort of evolved into utilizing pork and doing the adobo sauce marination technique and using corn tortillas where it became what we know as El Pastor now. That was it was popularized in the nineteen sixties. And the nineteen sixties is when it becomes when it became like a really big deal. In the United States, I would say it's like quite recent that 
the mania of El Pastor has really taken hold. I'd say in the last 10 years, people are like, El Pastor, El Pastor. It, I don't remember that from when I was younger. When You might see it on menus in my 20s, but no one really paid it much mind. Now it's like one of those things where people are obsessive about it. I have to have the El Pastor. And it's super cool to see the impact of that food. And also now that there's a publication of the fact that it originated from let's we can call it fusion because it's Lebanese immigrants cooking Lebanese food in Mexico that adopted the flavors and cooking techniques of Mexico to create something that is holistically Lebanese and Mexican at once. And it's this fucking beautiful combination of flavors and you see in modern day variations of foods that are impacted by the same techniques. I think tacos arabes is going to become like the next big taco thing in the United States. It's already big elsewhere. You go to Mexico, you can get tacos arabes, but like using like more cumin, more, more impacted by the spices that are common to Lebanon. Here for it. Yeah. That's, I, I feel like we're going to see so much more of that as kind of the next wave because people are like, what's next? What are we, what are we, what are we going to get next here that can combine new flavors with the things we already love, but not in a Taco Bell way where it's the same six ingredients. <laughs> Meat, cheese, uh, tortilla, crunchy. A little lettuce, a little tomato, whatever. Yeah. Sour cream. So that's, that's easy for me. And it, it, I don't think that answer could ever change because it's just such a beautiful marriage. Of, I mean, to the of, point that your answer yeah. changed the question. So <laughs> yeah. I still would have said it. I would have been like, well, you already, you gave me no, my answer. No, you did say it. So uh, <laughs> yeah. there you go. <clears throat> yeah. I like, I'm fascinated by this, right? I, as somebody who grew up not feeling attached to anything and not really identifying with Midwestern American, like palettes and everything else, I've always been on a search for shit. And as all of our listeners know, when I started tracing my lineage in Norway and then I moved there, like that changed my life. And there's a whole bunch of that. The fact is that most of the American plus Scandinavian things coming together are all the things that I'm currently in therapy trying to <laughs> trying to get rid of. Mm. Uh, so it's, we don't have a great food culture. So I was kind of taking a look farther back and you know, there's a little bit of me, Daniel, you touched on soul food. And I think that, that again, that's a, a great example of a bunch of things coming together to make something awesome. Uh, but the thing I kept coming back to and knowing that you were coming here is literally alcohol. Yeah. Like every time people ask me, I've, I've in some form or another, I've been selling alcohol to people since 1999 straight. 25 years, a quarter of a century, my entire adult life, I've been finding ways in different routes to sell people alcohol. And I understand on it, genetically, it is, it is a poison to what we do. Uh, there are lots of societal factors that show us why overconsumption is terrible. But it's one of the few things that I think unites the entire world. And we've talked about it on the show before. I have my whole theory on that bar stools are all the same height and the glasses are all the same no matter how rich or how poor you are. All that shit aside, the fact is that there were perfume makers from 
the Middle East, Islamic perfume makers who figured out a way to get the best out of all of these botanicals. And eventually they met up with some monks and the monks were like, cool, let me learn that. And then run that down the, the road for a couple hundred years. And now you have credit wise, I, I, I don't know the full timeline, but we've had people all over the world making wine and making beer, but actual spirits, you have Irish monks coming up with Ishkava, which is the, the, the grandfather of, of whiskey. And then you look at, as that spreads out, everybody has some sort of water of life. And it's exactly this. When you couldn't trust water, when you couldn't exactly. go into a stream and drink it, yep. you had to find a way to be able to consume something that was safe. Yep. And that's when you did hydrate from alcohol. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. And literally you had like, to do it. Yeah. And one by one across the world, everybody came up with their own version of it. And I love the fact, I, I'm not trying to say that there's not anything wrong with drinking culture, but I love the fact that as everything globalized and now we're all kind of one people because of social media, you can talk to anybody anywhere at any time in that moment if you want. And that has created sort of an arms race for people to figure out how to be like better than everybody and how to be quote unquote different the place that we still all come together and the place that we still all bond is either at somebody's house, usually around a pour for everybody or sitting at a bar. Yep. And you can find that I haven't seen the entire world and I never will, but I've traveled a lot. You know, I've put my feet on four continents so far and I will get the other three before we're done. But I do love the fact that no matter where we go, you can always find a place for everybody to gather at the same height chairs in the same exact glassware, paying the same price for everything, and we can talk about it. And the fact that somehow, with all the ups and downs of everything else that we've been through, the fact that somehow everybody has figured out their own shit, and then we've started working together to try and figure out how to make different stuff. Yeah. You know? And, like, the story of gin around the world is wild. And again, earlier today, before we started recording, I was telling Daniel that I was at a bar with some coworkers and a friend of mine didn't recognize any of the gins and asked what he should do. He wanted a martini and they had Songkai on the menu and I suggested that for him. And then I was just explaining the differences between what he would normally know and what this is. And he like non-ironically was just like, man, that's really cool. The gin can be so different. And it, just kind of hit like, oh yeah. And we kind of can do that across the board with all spirits. Yep. Like anything that a culture decides to make, they're going to put their own spin on it. Absolutely. And that journey, if I can't afford plane tickets to every fucking country I want to go to and every city I want to see, which I'm still trying to get to, but I can't, I can't afford them all right now. There is a way a couple steps down from that of getting to experience a little bit of that. And it's finding spirits that are from different cultures and trying it, learning the history, learning what they're doing. You know, like if you get to talk to someone like Daniel, it's amazing. But if you just have to read the story on the website, then do that. But figure out where people are coming from and try to get a little bit of like literally in a sip, you can get a little bit of empathy. You can get a little bit of tourism. You can get a little bit of joy 
And then maybe that's what sparks you that dopamine rush that you're going to book those tickets. Yep. You know? And to me, that's a, it's a beautiful language that we still all speak. Like everywhere that you go, if you have a thing that you enjoy drinking, you can find that version of it somewhere else and then talk to people, figure it out, say, Hey, this is what I like. And I want to try your version of this. Instantly you have a handshake right there. Like you're making something that I know and I want to try your version of it because I'm fascinated by that. And all of a sudden our differences aren't so scary. And I'm not saying it's going to bring the whole world together and get rid of conflict, but I will say it does make it a whole lot easier to just embrace and enjoy anything different when you're thinking about it of like, oh my God, like with one bottle, I get to travel halfway around the world. And I I love that about about this. I think the same thing about cooking, obviously, but... Hey, this bottle f- doesn't just feel like traveling to another geographic location. It feels like traveling to another time. Yeah. You know? I... I'm dumbfounded by this every single time. Again, same thing I said with a with a fermented rice wine is like I struggle to find things that I can compare that to and I love that. Yeah. When I have to yeah. be like, bro, just try it and then take it back. And now like, you know, thinking about different ways I could describe it, cool, but I want you to try it first and see where your brain takes it. And then I'll tell you like where I'm pulling. Yeah, I think spirits and food, that's really eloquently put because I think it's spirits and food allow us to experience something so concise and share that experience subjectively with other people and just exist within that. Yeah. You know? I think that's yeah. super crazy. Well, to, to bring it back to your spirit specifically for our, our listeners in the country and around the world, um, where should people kind of look up to keep up with you maybe to see if it's available in their country maybe to see how if they're able to if they can order it yeah i think for us um one of the most effective means to communicate with with us is through instagram uh just sonkai distillery so s-o-n-g-c-a-i distillery um or on our website the same the same name uh dot com and um if there's anything, information that's unclear, shoot us a message, write us an email, and we'll direct your way. If you're in uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis, New France wine, um, any part of the world, just, just shoot us a message, and we'll direct you in the right place. Um, anything else that you want to throw out there that's coming up for you in 2024? Um, I think for us in 2024, we're, well, you know, we're still expanding our, our, the countries and, and the, the different areas where we're distributed in distribution of alcohol is a little bit tricky. I think uh, we, we spend a lot of time explaining this to a lot of customers who do email us and message us about why it's not um, say in Arizona yet or, or other things that we have to explain to them that we can't sell it to you directly. We need to get a distributed three tier system or um, things like that. Um, Other than trying to expand the amount of places that we're in, we're also really, um, doubling down on on our uh, research and development. So mm. this year, we're definitely going to be releasing uh, a couple new non-gin products. Um, we don't know exactly what it's going to be yet. We've got a couple things in the pipeline, and we're just going to uh, meet with some, some of our partners to see what makes sense to release now. But rest assured, uh, it'll still be within the same, same ethos, whether it's a whiskey that's using all 100% Vietnamese ingredients or an Odo V or a brandy or another wine. Um, 
definitely still going to be um, honoring the uh, the ethos and the mission statement that we want mm-hmm. to be very true to the place of Vietnam, which we call home, um, her ingredients, her people, her culture, and uh, telling that story through whatever new product that comes out, whether it be, again, whiskey, Eau de Vie brandy, or a new wine that's made from, say, rice or another uh, indigenous grain. Love yeah. it. Can't yeah. wait to see what comes next. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for not only, like, giving us this time. I know uh, <laughs> you've been in Minnesota three times and you've had to look at our faces each time. But it, it really means a lot to get to hear your message. And um, not to speak for Charles, but uh, for a lot of our listeners that are looking for, like, all that's, like, good in the world and good to consume, thank you for leading the charge in also reintroducing ethics into all of that. Uh, your push for sustainability and for uh, uh, environmentally healthy practices, both with farming. Uh, regeneration. Even, yeah, regeneration. Yeah. Weirdly, that's been the thing that, from the first time that we talked, that's been the thing that I bring up the most when people ask about these brands. And that message is not lost on a lot of people. And I know that consumerism tamps that down, but Daniel, you guys... you you're doing what's right in the world. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. Cause there are not a lot of people that are choosing that. Yeah. Thank you. That means a lot to, to me. And I think uh, our team, because I think it's oftentimes the path that's not the most immediately financially wise. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> when, when you are trying to Facts. run a business that operates within the, the structure of capitalism and you do need to have money to make, Make sure that the lights stay yep. on. Sometimes planting a tree that we'll only see <laughs> will bear fruit in 10 years is not the wisest thing to do. But but I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm super honored that, that y'all have invited me on. And I think it's been an amazing pleasure for me to just have a dialogue. I think we've gone through all the peaks and valleys of all different very human topics. <laughs> You know, the really deep to the most, like, super funny. You know, like, I think <laughs> crass to, like, very, very empathetic. Yes. Kind of how we roll. Exactly. You have to have the rough to have the smooth, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, so, I, you know. Thanks for the thesis. Absolutely. <laughs> Twin Cities will always be, yeah, I think y'all are very, 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 um, very critical to to at least for me personally my my relationship my very beautiful relationship to the twin cities yeah. i think i've i have nothing but fond memories of of the twin cities every time i leave here oh. yeah well shit cheers uh charles we'll we'll throw it on social media we'll throw out uh whatever what, the fuck whatever it looks like whether it's the live stream situation. link or if it's a, a recorded thing yeah no matter when you listen to this you're going to be able to watch something either live or after the fact <laughs> some dumb shit that we did <laughs> yeah we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna start drinking at 4 a.m and watch pro wrestling charles Australia is gonna start drinking at 4 a.m i nerdy. will have already started drinking well no well it's gonna be hard to define where the line starts, starts and stops in- <laughs> because i We'll have at some point that evening and or morning been drinking. <laughs> that the minute I walk into your house, I'm cracking a beer and we're going from there. So that's the mayhem that I'm going to introduce. Oh, you're going to my house first. Oh, sorry, we're going to yeah. We're going to, <laughs> this, is like, this is going to get even we weirder than I first. I imagined. was still picturing the Super Bowl, and I'm the one who uh, has to handle 
$20,000 worth of equipment if we live stream. It's <laughs> so, fine. Yeah. Hey, just fucking set up the tripod. No big deal. Uh, I also want to give uh, credit. We've mentioned her a few times, but uh, Katie Dimmick is a force for good within the community here in the Twin Cities and also in the world around it. And She's got, a sh- she's got an episode of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, technically an episode and a half. Uh, sure. <laughs> and then uh, also Katie sort of helped facilitate this with, with having Daniel uh, be able to be here. So uh, Katie, from the bottom of my heart, like thank you for what you do in the spirits industry. And also just thank you for being my friend, golden girl style. Uh, I, I adore you and I think you're amazing. Uh, but past that, we'll send out the link. We'll get shit going. And until then, have a wonderful night and get yourself some Songkai. Kai.